0: All right, there will be bourbon returns again with another one of the premier goon goons out there, Javier Mackey. How are you tonight, sir?
1: Doing good, man. Doing good. How are you doing?
0: I am doing fantastic. A little bit about Javier before we get into this: uh, some of the stuff that this fine American has been through is uh, California raised, born out here, and has spent. The better part of the last 30 years in the South, uh, he joined the Army in 1998 as a satellite systems operator and maintenance, 31 Sierra then, which is now 25 Sierra then. A lot of you 25 guys, this is, this is the guy you want to you emulate your career after if you can, right? Uh, spent the first part of his career at Fort Gordon before initially, or before eventually going through air assault and airborne school, uh, met his wife at Fort Campbell, still married, good for you, man. That's, uh, that's an Army accomplishment in itself. <laughs> uh, and then eventually, which we'll, we'll start out and cover is uh, he ended up going to Special Forces Assessment and Selection in November of 2001. So there's a key date right there that I would like to uh, touch on. So hopefully everyone's paying attention as we get into that. But before we do, as you know, this is the Bourbon Centered Podcast, and I will be fueled tonight by the great uh, Knop Creek. It's actually a special 15-year, nine-month edition that was... Uh, picked by my bourbon group. So Nick nice. guy refers to me as a bourbon snob. This is the definition of it. Uh, our Bourbon Brotherhood group that we haven't been able to meet in a while, thanks to COVID, but we picked this last year. This stuff's delicious. And I feel like it only, uh, it only, it's only right to talk with a man like Javier and then drink some of the finest bourbon. Hey, That's so speaking good. of bourbon, did you yeah, have, what you got, man? have you ever had that uh, happy Van Winkle? So I've had every one of them except for the 23 year all right very fortunate to try them all uh especially out here in napa there's a there's several bars within walking distance which is nice that's had them um first time i had it was in vegas i think in 2015 when i was on leave actually from uh jordan uh, <laughs> i tried oh, yeah. the 20 year in the paris hotel and casino at the center bar and i remember it was uh it was like two like- bucks a shot and i was like all right for 20 year mm-hmm. at the moment you know the bourbon boom had started in 2012, but I know everybody knows what Pappy is. It's Buffalo Trace makes it. If you don't know, Buffalo Trace is the greatest distillery ever. But I remember trying it there in the center bar. And then I realized shortly thereafter that the problem was I couldn't appreciate it because I was already drunk.
1: Right, right, right. <laughs> that's what I mean. I'm not a drinker, but man, that's yeah. I remember watching a read or listening to a podcast. I forget which one. And it just had me fascinated. I was like, you know what? If I ever pick up a drink, man, that's going to be it right there. But then I, then my buddies were telling me, yeah, you're going to pay anywhere from $75 a shot to a couple hundred dollars,
0: you know? Yep. So while we're on the topic, because yeah, Pappy obviously has a – it's got – the reputation it's well-earned, but you know, at the end of the day, I always tell anybody who asks about any bourbon, it's no different than scotch <laughs> bourbon, or beer or wine. You drink what you like, right? Never be influenced by the price of anything because just cause something is expensive, doesn't mean it's any good. Um, right. but what Pappy Van Winkle is from the Buffalo trace line is obviously it's a, comes from a very specific warehouse on the Buffalo trace property. Um, and obviously produced in very small amounts, but it's weeded, okay? So a weeded bourbon just means it's the the, the, the majority of it is wheat, not corn. Like bourbon by law has to be uh, 51% corn. This just happens to be 51% or more of wheat, right? So, but what it is being weeded and the age that it is, they make other lines and the Weller line, which is this right here. This is the Weller 107. Uh, this stuff is weeded. Uh, what they realize it is the same mash bill which is what the overall, the mash bill is a recipe. It's a recipe right. for bourbon, right? So that, what people have figured out once the boom hit is uh, Weller is nothing more and nothing less than younger Pappy Van Winkle. Uh. <laughs> so what that's done is like this one, for example, is probably a 25 to $27 bottle. Um, the Weller Reserve, the green label, is probably about anywhere from 20 to 21. And since this boom, you're lucky if you find any of these anywhere and if you do like this gets jacked up to well over a hundred dollars. That one goes up to 80 to a hundred. Like it's, we're in strange times in the bourbon world, man, because stuff that used to really be just bottom shelf is now like, Oh my God. It's so yeah, that's unfortunately. uh, And then they make a Weller 12 year and a Weller full, uh, full proof, which is barrel proof. Those are, you know, should be thirty to forty-five, fifty-dollar bottles, and those are well over a hundred, hundred and seventy, two hundred dollars if you even find them at this. Because wow. liquor stores, yeah. they, they make these prices because they know people are going to buy them. Now, there's an MSRP, right? Like you know what the distillery says it right. should be sold for, but you know that's no different than a car. If someone's going to pay for a hundred thousand dollars for a Toyota, then that's what the price is. Oh
2: <laughs> well, yeah, yeah,
1: most definitely. You know, capitalist, capitalism. Yeah, and, and, uh, in
0: practice, right there, man. Exactly. So, <clears throat> we almost turned this into a full bourbon podcast.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. So let's get to the 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 reason why we've tuned in. It wasn't to hear me talk about bourbon. Like that's what a lot of people are like. Uh, they see my podcast and We're like, it's not even about bourbon. I'm like, I know that. That's the point. The bourbon fuels the conversation. So, right. all right, Javier. Before we even get to to you at. Um, you know going into selection after nine eleven what led you to join the army to begin with what was was it family or was it just something you always wanted to do?
1: yeah, my stepdad he was, okay. my stepdad plus my uncles they're all served, they served in the army or navy um or the Marine Corps, and so I used to you know grow up watching John Wayne movies and uh clean Eastwood movies, you know just and i always always thought, man it was like yeah, I want to be in the military But then it was like. You know, I think every little boy who grew up in the 80s watched Top Gun and then yep. the Navy Seals, you know, at some point was like, like you know what, I think I'm going to fly. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so I wanted to be an aviator at one point, and then I wanted to be a submariner, and then I wanted to be a Navy SEAL, and then I couldn't make my mind up. So um, I graduated high school, and then uh, I – my mom – I had this uh, kind of like a, a spiritual awakening for myself, you know, being ki- being kicked out, living out on your own for your, on your own and everything, and so um, I became, uh, you know, I joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to serve mission in uh, Georgia. While I was in Georgia as a Mormon missionary, um, I served at Fort Benning, um, Fort Gordon, uh, Warner Robins Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. Bunch of, everywhere I served, basically, I was surrounded by people that were very patriotic and loved their country. So um, that really stoked the fires, so, you know. Uh, when I was in Columbus, especially at Fort Benning, um, a lot of the uh, members there were some of the a lot of the men were uh, in Ranger Regiment.
2: Okay, and
1: um, I want to say some of them had gone to Somalia. And uh, they had been back and and so some of those guys, well, regardless if they had gone to Somalia or not, you know, they were just awesome guys to be around. And I I wanted to be a ranger. So I was like, yeah, I'm gonna join the army, be a ranger. So I come home from my mission and I talked to my dad, my stepdad, and I was like, hey, you know, I'm thinking about joining the military. He's like, hey man, just go to school, get your education, you're smart. So I, I went and failed out of school. <laughs> and, and, you know, and uh, you know, and I go back to my old man again. And I'm like, hey, you know, I'm really looking at uh, joining the army. I'm already talking to a recruiter, and he was like, "What are you going to do?" And I go, "Well, I want to be an uh, army airborne ranger." He was like, "No," and he was an infantryman or okay. an engineer. Oh,
0: okay. gotcha.
1: A combat engineer. Yeah. And I'm like, and he was like, you know, I, I grew up in a different time. I, that's just not for you, son. So I'm like, all right so uh, he was currently because he was he was in the reserves at this point and he was a uh, in the communications field so he was like hey why don't you go in the communications field uh and then just get out after six years so loving my dad like i do i was like you know what i'm gonna do that so yeah so i joined the army as a uh, satellite systems uh, maintenance and operation operator maintenance and operator or whatever it's called yeah. And I did that. It was everything but what I wanted to do. But you know, it gave me a, a baseline to start off with. You know, yeah. I and so that
0: feeling well. It was
1: a you know, I was in AIT. I was at Gordon for a long time, bro. Like it was like a year, and that was like all training. It wasn't like I got recycled or anything. Yeah. And so it really sucked at the end of the day. You know, um, yeah, because they kind of like talk up this tactical side, you know, those are the guys who go out into the field and then, um, but you all end up in a strategic side anyway. So it's just like, it's like a nine to five job or shift work. Most of the guys are doing it. So I didn't like that too much. So (laughs) I did that for two years. I was stationed in uh, both at Campbell and uh, Bragg and later at Bragg as a 31 Sierra. And then 9/11. I was in 82nd Airborne when 9/11 happened, um, and yeah, you know that the rest is history from there. You know, it it was. I, I wanted to be a soldier. You know, I wanted to right. I wanted to dig foxholes. I wanted to go out and simulate combat, and you know, in preparation for combat. You know, and um and everything was like Russian era. Uh, Oh, yeah, Russian narrative cold, um, cold War focus at that time. Yeah, yeah, huge Cold war, war war focus. So you go to JRTC, and you know everything looks like a Russian helicopter. You know, Russian heli- Russian military equipment. You know, right. so, um, so I had no clue, and at this point, I had no clue what SF does. But um, I was like one of the guys in the unit in our uh, in our in our when I was in eighty second in the signal battalion. I was one of these guys like anytime there's a field of training exercise, you know, I wanted to be where everything was going down. I didn't want to be stuck in my shelter, you know, (laughs) yeah, nerd, nerd, (laughs) plug it in, you know, (laughs) you know, trying to explain to a captain, why, you know, the sound like it's not working. And, you know, so, um, so yeah, when nine 11 happened, um unfortunately, fortunately unfortunately, you know I wish it hadn't happened, but fortunately because of it happening, there was a lot of guys that I, when uh, when I went to selection, that was their motivation right there right. you know um, so that you know it, it along with my family and being something I always wanted to do.
0: so what it was, was one of those things. Yeah. So, yes. was, so was nine eleven the motivation for you to go finally, or was it something you, that had been on your radar before that? Well,
1: yeah. Well, so that it's kind of funny because nine uh, eleven, if nine eleven hadn't happened, I think I'd have been too afraid to take that step. Okay. I you understand
2: know,
1: I mean, that. Yeah. Yeah, mean, uh, up until that point, you know, uh, Green Berets. I mean, there were these guys were like rock stars, you know, and. I wasn't, I mean, you know, I wasn't a PT stud, you know, I was making, you know, 270, 280, you know, yeah. it was respectable, but, you know, in my head, every, these guys were 300s, 300, 300 plus, you know, sub two hour, 12 mile ruck marches. Yeah.
0: Um, so let me guess, you were like, swimming the, like five you miles. can max everything, but you can't max the run, yeah. right? Is that what it is? Right, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's yeah, <nice>. exactly. <laughs> You
1: know and so it was one of those things i was intimidated you know and i got in my own head uh, prior to that point but uh when 9-11 happened it was like i don't know something just snapped in me and i just like you know i'm going to selection and um, um yeah i just didn't give up it was one of those things where i went and as long as i was still waking up and doing the events it was one of those things when i saw because when you are there you know, you start off with, you know, anywhere from 375 uh, candidates to 400, right? I think it's the max you can have. And um, within the first day, you know, 25 guys will just leave, you know. So now you're down to 350.
2: Yeah. And
1: then um, the PT event, now you're down to 290, you know. And then after PT and a couple of rock events, now you're below 200. And so – at the the end of the 20, so I went to the, it was 28 days when I went through. So by the time they, you find out you were, if you were selected, I mean, there was probably at most 100 people remaining.
0: So, what, what, what defines (coughs) who gets selected from that portion and who doesn't? And you're, like, what's, what have you seen through experience what's the general?
1: I, I think, is I, I wish I knew. You know, I, I don't know yeah. uh, what it is about the people who were selected and wasn't selected. I think overall, the uh, guys who weren't and this just my opinion. People who weren't selected were people who were like repeat offenders. You know, they okay. They, like on that obstacle course, they didn't. You know, the majority of the obstacles they they were weak on the. The runs, you know, they might be might have been strong in the run, but all the strength events, the team events, they were they just sucked, you know, mm-hmm. or they got caught a few times on the road, or they didn't find all their points, you know. I didn't go at a time when there was team week. I don't know why the decision wasn't made, but uh, um, when I went, team week wasn't even a factor. You know, we had what they call the long range. Uh, individual movement, and I think I, t- I think I, um, when I measured my distances out, it came out to like 60, 60 miles. So, 60, and that was 60. all. Yeah, it was all cross country uh, mm-hmm. land nav. So that sucked. I and mean, you have forty eight hours to do, you know, find eight points. Damn. And, uh,
0: so is that why you? Ch- is that why you have your YouTube channel about you know? Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> looking over strange <exchange laughs> <terrain laughs> yeah, land <laughs> nav?
1: Yeah, that's yeah. Well, I like land nav, you know, because it was really? like that was that was my test, you know, that was where I cut my teeth. Okay. Um, and I told when I was teaching in ROTC at UCF, uh, I told the kids, you know, if you can plan, if you can plan your a route from point A to point B and get yourself there, you can lead your, you can lead a patrol, right? You know. And, uh, if you can lead a patrol, then if you can do that much, then, and so looking over strange terrain was like, uh, it's me going over my, eventually what it would be is my, me going over my syllabus of teaching, um, leadership through land navigation and planning versus, um, you know, going out to the range and looking all sexy with a, with the gun and, yeah. you know.
0: <laughs> so the fun you know, fact I, I, fun fact uh the, the the 197th infantry brigade at fort benning um when i was there in 2009 2010 we got attached to them to instruct land map. so um, oh nice that's why it's kind of yeah now total perishable skill as you probably know uh oh, yeah <laughs> but the, yeah. the the wonderful land map yeah. yeah. courses of uh sand hill and at fort benning i, I remember them well and one of my favorite, of my stories, favorite was, stories was uh so, When the, you know, we have a great group, as you know, on that, the chat that we talk in, but there's one guy I was a drill sergeant with who, uh, when the world ends, he's one of those guys you want with you, right? right? This dude just always, he was, if he wasn't doing something related to guns or teaching something related to guns or showing us the latest gun that this dude had, uh, any opportunity he had, downtime he was hunting on fort benning like he was the guy that had his own deer stands on some of the land nav ranges at benning like we would be we'd have privates out there doing their course and you'd walk by a a, a, like a deer stand and be like what the what is (laughs) yep (laughs) and so uh i remember one time so uh we had a we had a lightning event going on so we had to take everybody out and we're waiting for the lightning to pass so we're driving down to the the shop bed on sand hill and uh it's kind of raining and we're in, we're in his truck and we see one of the, the Benning fleet trucks off to the side. You know, it's a white vehicle crack. At least we see the driver out there like trying to look at one of his, his headlights. It's all cracked. We pull over. He's like, what happened, man? He's like, man, I hit this, I hit this fucking spike that came running out into the road and this guy's like, Oh, not a problem. Because this thing's on the side of the road still kicking. It's not dead. He through to his truck. What are those things called? Is it, a, is it a blackjack or a slapjack? Whatever the damn, right. you know, that, that leather thing with <laughs> yep. pellets and shit. Who carries that? This guy. So he gets out, whacks the thing in the head twice. We go to the shop he gets something that he needed to get to, you know, perform the next task. We go out there. Within 25 minutes of us finding this guy on the side of the road and, and him doing that, he had that right. thing completely cleaned and on his smoker grill that he already had out there.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the
0: best part about it was like, for whatever reason, first sergeant and the commander decided <laughs> to make an appearance that day, like literally as wow. we're handing out some of the deer to the privates. Cause there's nothing else from the dude. You know, like, what do got make right. a fucking MREs and we got a deer here? Like, so, you know, we're handing them out. So that was an interesting uh, counseling event with the commander about not feeding the privates wild game. So,
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, those are the type of things that build relationships. And I exactly. bet you that are going to be like, you know, upset that he got venison. Yeah. You know, he's going to think that was, that was awesome, you know?
0: Yeah. So, Honestly, that was the first time, like, uh, that was the first time I ever had deer uh, the heart. And I thought it was delicious. Like, to this oh, yeah. day, I just, I, I haven't had it since. I wish I could. Uh, I you don't even actually see it on the menu. You know what I mean? But yeah,
1: I'm going Whitetail hunting tomorrow. So
0: are you? Uh, well, hopefully, time. I'll
1: get something. I've been here five years and haven't shot yet.
0: What state are you in at the moment? Yeah, uh, Florida. Are you, are you still in Florida? Okay, yeah, that's where he's from. Actually, I should probably. You know what? I should honestly put you in touch with this dude. Yeah, he's still down yeah, in Florida. Right. He lives. He still lives down there. I'm trying to remember the name of the the. He lived in this little tiny small town outside of. Uh, it was either outside of Claremont or Tampa. I have to look into it, but yeah, I'll go oh, back and look into this. So anyway, yeah. all right. So you make it through selection. You're there in the post 9/11 world. Um, I remember talking with Joe last night. He made it. I guess what 2003 was by the time he finished. Is that was that around the time you did? Same time.
1: No, <laughs> <laughs> no I took the long route, man.
0: Yeah. So um, how does that work? So yeah, walk us through that.
1: So. So I'm a pretty persistent person, you know, and um, I I just – I became dumb as a rock, you know, hard as a rock, you know, and just muscled through a lot of it. But, um, you know, what didn't jive – so when I went – when Joe and I went through, uh, the first thing you did was PLDC. So that was easy. That was big Army stuff, stuff I'm totally used to. Uh, Then you go through SUT – and this is where I started running into. Um, and the SUT
0: is what small unit tactics. Small unit tactics, okay. yeah. So,
1: yeah, small unit tactics was rough. Um, I knew, I, I've never, I didn't have a lot of experience. So the it was first your time, I,
0: right? Because right, of, right, exactly. Yeah,
1: I was a soft skilled MOS, yeah. and then uh, I, I, so I had to sit twice, which is fine. You know, I wasn't like. It wasn't like everybody was. We're, we're doing an assault, and I'm running the opposite direction. <laughs> it's just,
0: yeah. you know, it's I, just new. it just. That's all. It's just new, man.
1: Yeah, it was all new. So, um, and then after that, you we went to MOS, and so this is where I ran into more issues. I was, so I was originally an 18 Echo, so I was, uh, which is a communications sergeant. Yeah. That's what I went in to SF as is a communications sergeant and that committee. So each MOS is ran by a committee of guys with that MOS okay. and they teach, you know, they're subject matter experts of right. that job, but they're buttholes, man. You know, it, <laughs> that's what it is at the end of the day, man. These guys are just you know, the 18 echo committee is maybe the, the, When it comes to PT and just, you know, just rubbing your face in the dirt is probably the hardest, in my opinion, it's the hardest MOS to go through physically because, you know, you're always rucking, you're always running, you know, it's just, and they were PT monsters too. So um, we were doing this one exercise where you can't get anything wrong. but. I got something wrong twice and then you know like big army standard you get recycled right so I get up and through that event and I pass it the second time around and I make it all the way to the end and there was a catastrophic event um, like a test of people's attitudes you know so okay uh, uh, i was a first class i was in the first class they got that got rid of morse code so oh. i didn't have to do morse code and so the instructors naturally have this like oh you're getting you're getting over you know because you didn't have to because
0: you didn't have to do it
1: yeah <laughs> exactly. and so they have to make things a little bit harder you know yeah. so we're in um uh, I forget where it's called. We're in Arkansas doing, or Oklahoma, one or two, Arkansas or Oklahoma, doing our um, our FTX, Then we jump in, and well, we didn't jump in that time, but we do. You know, we do this long infills, like maybe twenty miles. We got about a hundred pounds worth of gear, just gear. Mm-hmm. On top of that, you know, maybe a, a change of clothes, you know, a couple water bottles, whatever. A couple MREs and so the whole time we we're there, they're just messing with us, you know, like they put us in a really bad spot, um, to where we couldn't uh get communications out. Um, I guess it was up to us to try to figure that out. It's yeah. um, it, it just it was just like one nightmare after the other. And then the compound it was um we spent all night so you get these hand crank generators and all you're doing is just cranking batteries. And all night long, you just hear this drone and <laughs> for like hours. So I, like, I spent five days cranking on batteries, you know, just to, you know, to have juice. Well, um, so that meant we were working in shifts, and then we were, you know, some things just fell uh, along the wayside. So one of the instructors, you know, he had the, you know, he got upset and he was like, all right, you're going to go to this low water point. And it was just like 11 clicks out, man. And we had like an hour or two to get down there, get some water and MREs and bring them all back for the rest of the class. And that sucked, man. We just didn't make it. We missed our our communication windows. It was just a horrible day, man. At the end of the day, it just – um, it just taught me that I didn't want to be a communicator on an SF in <laughs> SF, world, <you> know? <laughs> yeah. Because I just got I just got pooped on left and right, right? So yeah, um, okay. we get back. Uh, something was you know I'm not going to go into the particulars, but mm. there were some unprofessional uh, events that occurred during that time period as a result of us doing that long walk there and back. And, um, we took our grievance up to the general and, uh, it was just two of us and I was there as like, kind of like a emotional support dog, you know, (laughs) because we we both got, we were both getting like recycled. So it was just like, you know, all right, whatever, you know, whatever happens happens. And so general was like, Hey, what do you guys, the, the Sergeant major actually was like, so, um, do you think you want to go back and do the echoes? I was like, no, heck no, 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 no. And uh, he goes, well, any MOS you want, you got. So um, I, I went to be a 18 Charlie, which is an engineer, and my buddy went over to be a Bravo. And then, um, yeah, I went through that. I had no problems going through the uh, the Charlie course. Had uh, a little hiccup in uh, Rob in uh, Robin Sage. Got recycled, and then um, I finally made it all the way through language and everything. So it took me about three three years.
0: Okay. So what's yeah. what's the what language did you end up doing?
1: Uh, while while I was there, I had French.
0: You had French. So, okay.
1: Do you still speak it? Yeah. So. No. No. <laughs> French. Live, parlez-vous? There you go. Uh, we, We had the worst, we had the worst teacher, man. She is the worst. I mean, this chick, man, she would get, like, distracted. Like, there's a certain type of individual she liked. And and she saw that type of individual walking through, and she'd be like, and then walk walk outside the classroom to go (laughs) chat chat it up with with these dudes. And so that type of guy would, walking down the hallway because he knew that he was going to get her number. You know, like, right? these, you know, the certain type of guys that would walk down. It was pretty funny, man. But yeah, she was, she was very, she was easily distracted. Uh, we didn't learn anything from her, but uh, I made it through language and then SEER school was the last thing we went through. And then after that, man, we went, I got to my team at third group. Third group. Okay. To- Third, third, third group, third battalion.
0: Okay, so now, now we move along. You, 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 made it through. So, damn, man, that, it, you know, it sounds like a very army-heavy story right there. Like, yeah, that's. <laughs> just, there's a lot of very. There's a lot of like army <laughs> in that whole story. It just
1: no, yeah, you know, it, it's it's funny because uh, well, so every time I got recycled, there was like there was a reason like we found out later there, there was a reason like I needed to be home for a catastrophic event or, mm-hmm. um, my wife was pregnant or right. whatever. So had I not been recycled at those particular times, then I probably would have missed some really key events in our family's life. So, yeah. Um, yeah. it, for whatever reason though, man, I never felt like my career was in danger. Like I was going to get kicked out of the course. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely went the the long way around. it.
0: Well, is that what you see though? Do is, do, do you think that if, for those who who maybe are listening to this at some point and want to follow your path or a similar path, is the is is the advice essentially? Hey, is, as long as you keep making the effort and the attempts, you're you, you're you'll eventually get through there. Or is that not? Well, I,
1: I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it like that. I would say like, listen, man, like. Because that was how it was like for me, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's, it just feels like I didn't I didn't feel like there was a worry um, that I was going to get kicked out of the course and I was going to be in the 82nd. And if I if that would have happened, I would have been like, all right, whatever, you know, do my time and get out, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, for whatever reason, for me, I knew, like, me being recycled was because there was something key to my training that I didn't really – quite grasp but then by the time I got to the t- to my um uh, my ODA
2: yeah I
1: mean I was a master at everything I did you know um I wouldn't say master but I was I was highly confident in my abilities yeah. to um, do things so um I'm I'm really excited I was really excited to get to a team um I was really open about how many times I got recycled <laughs> um that I mean and they, it kind of worried the guys. They were like, man, this guy's <laughs> a dirtbag, you know. Like, nah, dude, I'm, a, I'm a hard worker, bro, you know. <laughs> yeah. Put me in a ring with Mike Tyson. Eventually, I'm going to knock him out, That's
0: you know? <laughs> <laughs> true. I mean, hey, you got proficient at a lot of the things, as you said, man. So, yeah. all right. So, you, you're there. You, get, you, you move on finally. And uh, some of the other things I'm reading through that you eventually found yourself in was you became a canine handler. And then uh, you were a... Uh, advanced marksman. Uh, you have it down here a sotic level two sniper. The yeah, Okay. Yeah. So how, how was the? Because I've seen a few of your pictures on 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 Twitter. Um, yeah. How did you find yourself into the the canine handler world?
1: So I went from so I was a, a junior Charlie. So every every when you get to your team, regardless of your rank, you know you'd be a sergeant first class, you'd be a staff sergeant, you'd be a sergeant, if yeah you're the newest guy on the team. You're the most junior guy on the team. And so um, nothing you say really matters. Um, so that's where I started off, you know. And uh, I went from being a, a junior guy on the team to a senior guy on the team by 2008. And then um, 2009 is when – or 2000, early 2008, we started hearing about uh, there being a – they called them – Special Operation Forces, multi-purpose canine handlers. Okay. Uh, soft MPC, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know what? I want to do that. You know, I'm a I'm a engineer anyway. I deal with explosives. I understand explosives. I love dogs. So yeah, I'll do this. So uh, I volunteered to be a dog handler. Went to uh, Peru, Indiana for three months or a month, maybe a month and a half to uh, learn how to be a dog handler. And that was awesome. Um, awesome TDY. Uh, but you, you learn everything from about the dog from the beginning to end. Yeah. And then, um,
0: what type of dog was it? Was it um, the Belgian Malawas or?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we, we had a uh, Belgian Malawas, Dutch shepherds and German shepherds. And, um, yeah, so I, my first dog was a Dutch shepherd
2: okay,
1: and Bart, and I had him all of like three months. And then we had, he, his, he, he like went retarded and then, um, <laughs> before I got deployed. And so they sent me back to, uh, get another dog. Uh, and I went and got, uh, a Belgian Mal, Malawak named, uh, Andy. And so. Andy and you know, I completed training together, um, so I had to go back out there for like another month and a half, uh, just just the way it works, you know. Um, so I went and did completed the training, and then right after I completed training, I, I deployed to Afghanistan, and um, I was supporting uh, 19th group or 20th group in Afghanistan in the Uruzgan, uh Valley, and uh, it was pretty rough. Uh, the year prior was a – I had some catastrophic things uh, occur with uh, the death of a teammate. And I still was kind of shell-shocked from that event, and I didn't – I shouldn't have been on that deployment, you know. Um, but I was there anyway, and uh, I did what I had to do, and then I eventually went home. But uh, – and I, I did another deployment with third group as a dog handler, and that was awesome. I had, like – a I had a little bit longer break between the deployment cycle, and uh, I was able to get out. And, um, like, we were, we were always in the air. You know, we were at a big push through Marja, so Marja was a huge thing for me. Um, so we went uh, – we started off in Kandahar and just – wrecked house for a couple months and then finally they were like all right dude you guys uh the marines and uh and another um oda is going to take up from here and then we went back up to uh camp moorhead that year and, and i finished the rest of the rotation um i went home right before Bo bergol went missing
0: mm. okay so uh, that's it's a point of contention for a lot of people, obviously in the army, especially probably in your, your side of the world. Um, yeah. One of the guys I, one of the guys I work with now, like he, he talks about that and his experience, his unit's experience over there with it. But um, so what, so when you do the, the, the canine handler, what is, what is your primary mission with that? When you go over somewhere, are you doing bombs so, yeah. what, what is the primary mission for you guys?
1: So with the, Canines being multi-purpose,
2: yeah.
0: that
1: meant they uh, they track they track man odor. Um They do what they call patrolling, which is bite work, and then they detect um, explosives. So, okay. you know, those were our three main missions. And um, conducting sensitive site um, exploitation after we you know the team rolls through a compound and I go. I, you know, following trail, looking for IED, IED components, things of that yeah. nature. What
0: What age do so, they start the dogs in their training?
1: Uh, you know what? My dog was fairly mature, so I. It's all my dogs were fairly mature, so it's really hard to say. Okay,
0: that's yeah. I always wondered <laughs> maybe, that because, uh, yeah, maybe like two or three years old. Two or three. Okay, yeah. I remember. So, um, in my last deployment, I was in. At one of the times when I was in Kuwait, uh, they had they had a lot of the dogs there on uh, Camp Arif John, and I remember they needed like an E seven to come do a site inspection, and so I went and did that, and I got to see all those dogs, and there must have been like maybe nine or ten of them in there, and I was just blown away with a. Hey, they were not my friend <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like they, they they could not they they definitely like yeah I mean they were very clear like hey don't don't go pet the dogs just you know do the inspection count them all that stuff and I was like yeah I was just but I just remember thinking like man I wonder like what age or what it is if they start them at because I thought it was just cool to be around but yeah they're yeah. definitely not ready for playtime or anything so
1: <laughs> yeah so they're, they're they're they go operational I would I would guess like two or three years old um but their shelf life can depend upon when like the events they go through while they're deployed. Cause they're just like us, you know, they, yeah. um, they get PTSD. In fact, Andy, my, uh, Belgian Mal when I came back, uh, I redeployed in 2010 with Andy and I didn't even get off the, off, I got like onto the ramp. And Andy looked left and right, and he was like, the ramp of the C-17? Uh-huh, yeah. He looks left and right, and he was like, nope. And he goes right back into the, uh, the belly of the aircraft. And I'm like, what the heck? And my master trainer sees it. Uh, my team sergeant is looking at that. And were, we're all kind of scratching our heads. And so, you know, the determination was like, right, there's definitely some, uh, you know, PT. PTSD issues going on with Andy, so they sent me uh, Marco, a Dutch Shepherd, um, to fill in his uh, fill in his spot, and that's who I, you know, I went to the I went through combat with for that um, 2010 trip.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so that was 2010, and you come back from that. At that point, did you move on from canines, or did you just?
1: No, yeah, I, I came back. So the team I was supporting asked me to come on as their uh, as their, their their Charlie, their engineer was going to become the intelligence sergeant.
0: Okay,
2: and
1: so um, they they asked me to come in to be the senior uh, engineer. So I was like, yeah, I'll take that job. And um, we ended up going to Kyrgyzstan that year. That was two thousand and eleven. We oh. went to Kurdistan, and so while I was
0: were there you, you okay, I was going to ask, were you over there when they when they finally killed bin Laden
1: yeah, yeah, sure was
0: yeah how, how, what was what was that like when you guys learned it Because I, I was just talking just because it's so fresh in my mind talking with Joe about it last night it's just did you what was your when, when you found out that you guys you know had killed bin Laden were you what was the reaction like? Hey, this might be the end of all this, or what was kind of like, from your perspective? What What did you, how did you react to that?
1: So I wasn't in Kyrgyzstan when it happened. I think I was back stateside. Okay, I'm not sure what month. I think that it was that May. Happened. Yeah, it
0: was May of 2011. We looked. So at it, just, We Googled it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, uh, so I, I was there. So, okay. and I do remember. So what I do remember is. It took about a week for us to figure it, find out.
2: Okay.
1: And uh, we found out from a local national oh, um, uh, at a bar. God. And uh, well, cause we're, you know, uh, everything, cause we weren't on uh, Manas Air Base.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We were out in Bishkek, you know, doing our thing, doing some training with their with local military. And so everything we, um, any news we got is when we went to Manas to get food, money, whatever, you know, to, to refit and get back into town. And so, uh, yeah, we found out from a local uh, or uh, one of our drivers. Um, he told us, he was like, "Yeah, you guys know, uh, you got you know the Navy SEALs killed Bin Laden." We were like, "What?" <laughs> so. And I, I think if anything was said, it was like, well, we're not going to ever hear to the end of this. When does the oh, book deal? And, and
0: wow. How, how prescient was that? <laughs> Cause yeah. you hear about it every day.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, it, it was, it was pretty interesting, man. You know, it, but because we had a mission to do, man, we were so focused on what we were doing. It was like, all right, well, let's keep on going. You know? Yeah.
0: That's interesting. Bitco, because, uh, I guess, like, cause uh, you know, my 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 two initial reactions, and these were things I talked about with Joe, but I, I'm just curious because your time overlapped. Um, so while you were in, because I'm going to back up now, because you got, you there's a few events that you were a part of that I, I really want to get your your take on. So your, your your training for selection lasted a little longer. Do you remember where you were when they caught Saddam? in 2003 December of 2003
1: I was on staff duty in language school
0: staff damn that's crazy so did you think like when you were going through that were you thinking based on everything you like you're trying to get through you're trying to do did you think you were going to miss out on you know the war or 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 how was what were you thinking because you're a young guy at that point I know how every young dude back then just wants to go fucking do shit um, yeah. So,
1: yeah, there was a lot of that anxiety of, yeah, I'm going to miss out. And so it kind of gave me that little extra push to try to get through this stuff um, as fast as possible. But every time, man, like I said, there's always something that got in the way. And there was yeah. a reason why that obstacle was placed in my way. Uh, when I remember, yeah, I was on staff duty. And so we had to tell, like, it was like a Friday. Friday, Saturday, mm-hmm. staff duty uh, thing, you know, me and the guys in language school that uh, pulled that duty, we would bring our our Xboxes and play Halo all night, you know.
0: Okay. Hey. Did it in Iraq. And then we had,
1: yes. <laughs> yeah. then we had the uh, other television up. So we had like these two TVs side by side. You know, of course we didn't have flat screens back then. You know, they're all like. Big oh duty. yeah, I
0: remember it well. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So we're sitting there playing, uh, and, and I remember seeing it on CNN or Fox, one of the two, and I was like, holy crap, who's that guy? You know, Who's that bearded guy they pulling out of the dirt? Cause, <laughs> um, it was shortly after Jessica Lynch was found too, right? Uh, uh,
0: well, Lynch, the they, they – no, because Lynch was during the ac- – she was caught during the war, but they, they went and got her fairly quickly after that.
1: Yeah, it seemed exactly. like the like, same type of in – invasion.
0: Uh, no, what they what what it was what they did what was close to them was when they killed him killed uh, his his kids Uday yeah Uday yeah, Uday. Uday. yeah that was before that um, that was like a week or two before that yeah too. Like, like Ron actually you know Ron Moeller, he talks in depth about that because he he had to go inspect the bodies and shit at Baghdad airport and I remember them bringing them on into Biap because we were there and they're like what the oh fuck wow is this like you see that show up, and you, you, you its not your normal convoy coming through the gate. You know what I mean. So, you know, stuff stands out. That's some cool stories about that shit. Um, so that happens, yeah, and then all right. So, so yeah, wow. I was in. Yo, go go for it, brother. Oh yeah, I
1: was in. Uh, so yeah, I was at on you know, staff duty when I remember watching uh, the ball up uh, Saddam Hussein, and then um. Uh, at that point, I didn't, I, I didn't fear like, uh, like I was going to miss out on anything because Afghanistan seemed like a quagmire, you know.
0: Um, so, see, that's what I'm curious about. Okay, so give, give me that perspective because I was in Iraq, I was in Baghdad in 2003. I remember being, you know, our platoon sergeant called us all together to tell us that they had caught Saddam, and I, man, we were still getting news from fucking Stars and Stripes that was running two weeks behind, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> what, what were you? What was Afghanistan? like in terms of how you were being presented it through the media at that point? Because I didn't, we didn't get any of that. We didn't have media or we didn't have any news yeah. or anything to watch. So I was curious how that was. So
1: my my idea of Afghanistan, while I was going through the Q course, it was like the ultimate uh, like all the cadre, you know, mixed with the cadre, what he was saying, it was going to be a straight up UW uh, unconventional warfare right, right. mission. And that we we're going to face the unconventional warfare challenges, and so that's what I was waiting, waiting for, ready for uh, when I got there. And then uh, when I got to the team, the I the impression I got was Afghanistan was the wild, wild west, and it was like sometimes you get in the shootouts just showing up, you know.
0: And it was so also the first six months of Iraq, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, and so. I hadn't, having not ever been in combat before, I didn't have a baseline to call from Hmm. to. So for me, it was all, everything was new, you know, everything was new. And, um, so going into Afghanistan, I kind of went into, so my first mission was in Jordan. And, um, I, I want to say while I was in Jordan, they, I was in, uh, the north I was like in the north eastern portion there's like an air base there doing some stuff and uh, I want to say Zarqawi got um, oh, fucker, they dropped man. on him while I was there so while I was <laughs> there yeah so <laughs> there was definitely a threat towards us and I was kind of like naive about the whole thing you know I kind of went into Jordan thinking you know what? I got my boys with me. Life is great. If anything happens, they got my back, right? Right. So we're at the, to- we're at the tail end of our, of our mission there. And, uh, you know, at this time, our scuba team, uh, the Al-Qaeda dropped some mortars on our scuba team while they were in the uh, Gulf of Aqaba uh, doing a dive. Oh, I remember some, Aqaba. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, some, something, some something dive related. Uh, with the Jordanian special forces. Okay. And, um, and so they, you know, they bugged out of that. Um, but when we, so, you know, then more came out to the embassy. Yeah, dude, they're, they're, they're targeting you guys. And I'm thinking, whatever, at this point, I mean, I'm on, you know, going to the mall by myself and walking down the street, yep. buying shawarmas. And I'm like, I feel like I'm kind of in- invincible. No, it's, it's seriously, you know, when I got my beret. Oh, yeah, I'm just
0: laughing because you said buying shawarmas, and that's all I remember. Like, literally every chance I had in Jordan, right. I wanted to do that. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I'm, 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 I'm surviving. I'm trying to, like, spend all my, you know, not spend all my TBY money. You know, I've been eating, like, two-dollar shawarmas for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know, <laughs> and I have no situational awareness. I'm just walking around town, enjoying the sights and everything. And... um. Yeah. And so we get ready to leave and we're bouncing from hotel to hotel <coughs> because the threat is pretty, uh, we have a substantial threat, so we can't like loiter around too long. Yeah. And, um, when we left, um, I think we were on it. We were either at the airport or in the airplane. I, uh, you know, we were told that the, uh, hotels we were staying in got bombed. Oh, and, um, I thought that was pretty significant, you know. It was just like holy crap. And so one of the ladies like uh where I was staying at, or uh, she was captured, you know, her and her husband. Uh her husband killed himself, but she didn't. And so she was captured by uh, the government and put in jail. And uh I don't know if you remember when ISIS uh killed that uh Jordanian pilot.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Let him yeah. on fire in the yep. cage.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: and Jordan retaliated by killing this lady. So oh. the lady that they they killed swore allegiance to ISIS, and uh, and so therefore they killed her, executed her uh, in retaliation for the killing of their pilot. So, um, so yeah, and that's so. I guess I say all that to say this: you know, my 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 view of what was going on in the world was very skewed. Um, I was doing stuff that I shouldn't have been doing, like, you know, walking around the city of Amman with Hamas and Al-Qaeda running around and I could have been an easy target and I uh, got myself swooped up. You know, but uh, going into Afghanistan, I kind of went in with the same attitude. You know, uh, I kind of felt like uh, invincible. Uh, only this time I can carry a gun. Yeah. And um, yeah, man, we we roll into Afghanistan, and from off the bat, like the first two weeks, it was like back to back missions. Like we were we would come in and um, meet with you know the, the guys would meet with the with the intel guys, get the next mission, give the op order, and we're back out on the road. And then we did that for like um, three or four days straight, and then we had like a break, and then we did it all over again. Um, so I went into it thinking, all right, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be operational. We're going to be on the move all the time. But it wasn't the case. Um, there was some downtime where I got an opportunity to meet the locals and kind of get embedded with the locals and everything. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, man, it, it wasn't like Ranger Regiment or like a Task Force or anything like that. It was very <laughs> – uh, Afghanistan was a methodical Rush No rush to end You know They, they wanted to take it step by step Because this was a, a, You know Afghanistan seemed a little more sensitive uh, Because regionally uh, Life is different You know different. Um, Yeah And then the Afghan, the Afghan government Has no governance In their provinces Outside the capital You know uh, Yeah so, it's a little, you know, it's getting better. It was getting better towards the end of, of my career. but And I feel like it's getting better now, but who knows. But, okay,
0: uh, so, yeah, you know. Yeah, no, well, okay. So, now I want let, to – let's back up a bit because uh, Staff Sergeant Rob Miller, he, he uh, received the Medal of Honor uh, in 2008, if I'm correct. Is that 2008 when it happened? Yep. Yep. Okay. And – So, you were deployed with them then and in 2006 or?
1: Yeah, 2006 and 2008. Okay, 2006, 2007, 2007,
0: 2008. Yeah. Okay, so how, how, let's go to his, well, well, no, let's just, let's, let's, let's take it the initial one. So, in 2006, because I I looked at some of those tweets, man, you, you posted how he, you know, he took the time to go out and learn Pashto and, um, what, what was what was this young man like in 2006 when you guys first got there?
1: Dude, he, he was like every guy that gets to an SF team, you know, uh, very motivated. Um, and he, re, he remained – like he was disciplined and motivated, you know. And the way I look at it is uh, – and what we all liked about Robbie was his discipline. And he would get real focused on something and he wouldn't – led up on it until he met his goal. And um so he he came to the team and we embraced him. He was the first 18x ray on our team. Oh really? Uh, okay. Those are the guys who come yeah. off the street, you know.
0: Yeah. That's 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 and, um, What's more impressive about that though, Javier, is that he actually made it cuz most of those dudes don't. You probably know that. You come in off the eight off yeah, the street 18x, so, yeah, you don't really make it. <laughs>
1: Right, so the uh, the uh, the guy, So just to you know, like kind of like solidify what you said. When I went through the Q course, I went through with ten X rays, and they were the first X rays mm-hmm. of my of the GWatt generation. Oh wow! And we uh, started off with two hundred. I, I want to say it was two hundred, and by the time I got to the Q course, there was only ten. So oh wow, damn! And those guys were those guys were pretty pretty. Pretty good dudes. But, yeah, so Robbie, um
0: the Florida boy, wasn't in, he? Came,
1: what's that? Wasn't he a Florida boy? Yeah, he's from Oviedo. Oviedo. You know,
0: Just like Alwyn Cash. Sorry, Cash, that we have <laughs> yeah. been talking about all day. He's, yeah. he's Oviedo. That's, that's fucking crazy.
1: Oh, yeah, his his sister lives here, and I met her okay a couple of years ago uh, at a Gold Star. So Rob's mom and I, um, we do a lot of things. Uh, we speak a lot for Robbie that's good. Um, so it's pretty nice and, and uh, uh, I forget her name but uh, Cash's uh, sister
0: mm-hmm. was at a
1: Ghost Star event and she told his story and that's how I first learned about him so
0: oh really okay yeah um, he was yeah. one of the guys uh, before we get back into to Sergeant Miller to, to Robbie as you refer to him but uh, no Sergeant Cash he's his His story is one that we always told every cycle any time I had an opportunity to do any type of sergeant's time or whatever like just from two thousand and five on I became a drill star. I went to drill star in school in two thousand and eight but uh, I remember our instructors I remember dudes who were in that unit like just or not with him but in the same division just that that story will never die and that's what I think wow. is amazing because yeah, he was awarded the silver star but I mean, we've we, we've got that push that's been going on for years in the veteran community, especially with Twitter and social media. It's it's amplified and brought more attention to it because that fucker deserves that shit. Like, if there's any, like I said it in, earlier in the chat, like if there's a fucking definition for the Medal of Honor citation, it better read, "Hey, what Sarin Cash did when that stuff." Th- like to me, that just it gets me a little fired up because like it just. Yeah, the Silver Star is a yeah. high honor, but come on, man, this motherfucker! <laughs> that's what yeah. that dude did, like, there's nothing more epitomizes going above and beyond than what he did. Yeah,
1: and, right. you know, that was, and that's the way Robbie was, man. You know, they they all kind of like share those those same kind of, type of qualities, you know. Um, so yeah, so 2006, we get there, and uh, Robbie Robbie's young. Where I'm young. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're all trying to figure this out. We, we got a couple uh, older guys on the team. Uh, we have a fairly new team. Uh, when we got there, you know, a lot of the guys who have been there for a while started kind of cycling out. And so we are now the senior guys on the team, you know, along with a few others, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So 2006, we're in Afghanistan. And um, right off the bat, we get into our first tick about – Maybe like three weeks into it, we get into our first tick, Troops in Contact, and uh, we were in this uh, small village called Gowardesh, which is north of our fire base, and a little bit more north where he finally died, but uh, that was in the next year. But anyway, we got into this tick, and uh, yeah, you know, he, 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 we all did our job, Rob. You know, he jumped off the ATV and shot, you know, mortars and AT4s and the saw. You know, he was just getting some. And uh, he was awarded the uh, Army Accommodation Medal with uh, with Valor for, for that firefight. And, uh, yeah, man, he just – and from that point on, man, he, he always walked the point. Uh, he began to uh, get himself – embedded with the local, uh, security force we had, we were traded. And, uh, yeah, he started learning, uh, Pashtu and Urdu and, and that's how, that's just the way he was. So yeah, that's how he started off in 2006. I'm sorry, man.
0: No, nah, Hey, no worries. Man. <laughs> hey, no, it's, it's authenticity right there. So, all right. So that yeah. was 2006, now let's uh, let let's fast forward to two thousand eight. You guys are back. Uh, this is where he would be awarded the the Medal oh, yeah. of Honor for his actions. Uh, was it what was that? What was the name of the province? I know it began with a K. It was in Kudar,
2: Kudar Province,
1: oh, yeah. Nuristan. Okay, uh, where he like we were stationed in Kudar, but uh, Nuristan was just north of us. Uh, that's where Cop Keaton, Cop Keaton, where Robbie died, is not far from where Cop Keaton fell. Uh, it almost, you know, the,
2: yeah,
1: the, that, that guy overran. Um, so January, it was January 2008, 25th was the day. And uh, we had been, so in 2006, we had went to hit this target in the area uh, that I'm about to talk about. And we get there, we set up our ORP we're ready to conduct a hit and, um, checks off station. And the guys we were with said, Hey, we can't do this hit without this aircraft on the station. So we're like, all right. So we pack up. I mean, when you're at the ORP, you're like what a, a terrain feature away from the objective. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're, that's how close we were. So, uh, that was 2006. We walked back, um, uh, to recock, but we never did that trip. Fast forward 2007, intelligence is built up that the same guy that we went to go look for in 2006 is there. And so we, uh, but this time the guys that we were playing with the first time decided they can't, they're not, it wasn't worth their time. It was like, you know, we don't have enough intelligence. Uh, we have some good information, but none of it's intelligence, so we're gonna. We're going to sit this one out. You guys go knock yourselves out. So, uh, we entered a valley and, uh, we, you know, we meet, first of all, we meet, uh, at this point, we call it a checkpoint Delta. It's right before you get into what we call ambush alley. ambush alley is just this really narrow valley in Northern Kunar that, uh, that you basically, uh, uh, it's like from wall to wall, from one side of the valley to the other, is very, very narrow. And um, w- along what's uh, hand railing that 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 road uh, is a river. So so you have the valley wall road, then you have the river, then you have the other valley wall. And so they call it ambush alley because the insurgents there would like to uh, get up on that high ground and you know shoot at us. Shoot, not necessarily at the uh, SF guys, but um, a lot of the 10th Mountain and 173rd guys would get ambushed along this valley system quite a bit. So we get to Checkpoint Delta. We link up with the team. Um, we link up uh, with some national, with a National Guard unit, and then uh, we head north up the valley system into the valley and. Uh, the insurgents had blocked off the road with uh, boulders. So I had a, you know, I had an opportunity to do a breach. And so.
0: Engineer uh, shit. a boy. There you go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, <laughs> I was all, I'm all stoked. And it's a nice night too, man. It, it was, it was about 30 degrees out and. Uh,
0: Damn.
1: The, the moon was high. Like good lube. Everything was perfect, you know. And so we, we eventually uh, – we make it up to these switchbacks, and there's another, uh, there's another boulder, so I get to blow that up. And then uh, ISR, you know, uh, checked in with the JTAC and was like, hey, man, just to the east of your position, we got 40 dudes, you know, uh, and we think the guy that you're after is in that area. So we're like, all right, cool, man. So we set up this uh, vehicular ambush, and I don't know if you ever got a chance to set up an ambush – Nope. I mean, was, yeah, most most of the time we're we're reacting to an ambush, right? Yeah. Well, we actually set up an ambush, and uh, we, uh, um, which was initiated by our left side security, oddly <laughs> enough. Uh, and uh, wait, I gotta lie. Hold on, Javier,
0: no. real quick. This is important. I did set up an ambush in basic training, in our culminating training event. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. I mean it's not too often it's not too often like we do it all the time in training, you know, but yeah. we never ever <laughs> do it offensively. So uh yeah, so we set up this ambush and we set it off, man, and for you know, you know, by doctrine an ambush is supposed to be like a mad minute, you know, the first minute of all your you know, what you can get down. But we were there, man, I don't know, maybe five, ten minutes before we let up. Damn. And then we let it go again, you know, uh, so we had some standoff uh, With our 50 cows. Well, anyway, so Robbie was on the second vehicle with the He was on a mark 19. So yeah, so he got some on that mark 19 <laughs> And so uh, Eventually, you know, we reported up to hire that we we're we we're troops in contact and uh, We got the call to go do a battle, battle damage assessment. So yeah. Um, we put we put together a small team uh, consisting of one guy from the Marines. He was a embedded uh, tactical trainer, ETT, uh, working with the Afghans that we were working with. And uh, then you had uh, myself, my team sergeant, my warrant, my, you know, we just had this team. It was like six of the ODA members. Mm-hmm. And the rest were Afghans. in that one Marine, Robbie, was up front with our interpreters, and he was like, "Yeah," he was like, "Yeah, bro, I got it." You know, I'll leave. I'll leave from the front. So it was awesome. So we get it. Uh, we get to move And and uh, get to the other side of the river where we uh, made contact, and we we're in a file. And uh, that so it's Robbie. It's the Afghans, Robbie. Then there's me, the JTAC, my Bravo, and then the rest of the team is behind me in a a trailing element. And uh, as the lead element gets up into this little uh, draw, uh, that's when the the Afghans, the insurgents, kicked off their ambush. And um, so here, you know, me, Robbie – the JTAC and the Bravo were we're in the kill zone and Robbie is just getting some, you know, this is now mind you, this is dark. Oh, um, yeah. it's, it's pitch dark. So we have knots. We had our night vision devices on and um, Robbie was the only one carrying the two, four, nine. Um, he had a chop down a two, four, nine. He's rocking that. The rest of us had M fours that had uh the uh, the surefire suppressors on them, so that's what we're rocking. And so you hear Robbie just—he's just—he's laying it like well, I'm just going to say if he's firing his gun, he's killing somebody. You know, that's the that's the basic line. Yeah. You know, uh, because we couldn't catch up with him. You know, he was shooting these dudes so fast, and there was a lot of dudes. I think we—I think he ended up shooting like fifteen or sixteen dudes. Uh, me and between me and me and Bravo, I think we shot maybe a handful. And then, uh, um, but yeah, you know, it, it was a pretty, you know, we we're sitting there in the X, they can't see us, but we can see them type thing. And, uh, so at some point Robbie says "Break contact. And I think this is when he got hit. And so we're already in a file. And um, my captain had already reported in that he was hit. So Robbie, he you know he lays down his last little bit of fire, and I'm waiting for him to move past me because now I'm I'm the I uh, will be the lead guy. And oh yeah, by the way, the Afghans that were in the lead element they took off; they just ran away. So they kind of, of
0: course they fucking did.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The only ones that stayed behind was our interpreters and they fought. You know, side you know
0: what? By side. You know what? There's not going to be, there's never going to be any fucking medal of honors for the ANA, but anyway, go ahead.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, man. uh, the, uh, the, the app, the, the interpreters stay behind and fought side by side with us.
0: Oh, um, that's awesome. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, I love my interpreters. They're yeah, great. Dudes. I, I have some um, great stories about those, man. Yeah. So,
1: at this point, Robbie's by himself. He's he, like he's ahead of me, maybe like ten or fifteen meters, and um, I see him on the ground. At this time, by this point in the firefight, the sun was—it was light. It was there yeah. was daylight, but to there was could see the sun. And um, yeah, and so Robbie was laying there, and. I'm waiting for him to pass me so I can start – so I can go from semi to full auto and he doesn't move. So I was like, hey, Robbie's hit. And so the JTAC and I get up and bound up to Robbie. And I started immediately – you know, at this point, we had just been taught uh, tactical combat casualty care. I'm breaking all that. You know, I might – that guy's <laughs> tossed out of the window. So – I'm taking fire and I'm doing a first aid, which is wrong in every book, in every book, in every scenario. So, uh, I, f- I couldn't find the wound and eventually I did. Uh, and by the time I found the wound, he was dead. And, um, so the JTAC at this time was calling a, uh, uh doing his nine line for the, uh, uh for the bomb drop. And, uh, yeah, he, uh, freaking, uh, so he called in two strafing runs and, uh, on our position, danger close. Uh, and that bought us some time to try to pick up Robbie and move him. But you know, he was getting caught up in the rocks. We were slipping in the rocks. And so I was like, Hey man, you know, Rob was like, Hey, I'm gonna die with Rob. You know, or our JTAC was like, I'm gonna die here with Robbie. I'm not gonna leave him. I will do. We need you to drop bombs. So we hopped over a wall. Uh, by this time, the marine the marine had caught up with us because he was with he was trying to uh, herd the cats the Afghans to get them back into the fight. And once they did, he assisted us with trying to move Robbie. Uh, between the three of us, we were just taking too much fire. So I uh, I made the decision, to, you know, to make it back to the CCP. Uh, gather forces and come back for to re-engage uh, to get Robbie. Um, I never made it back, but the rest of the team did. They were able to recover Rob. Uh, once I got to the CCP, uh, my team sergeant was like, hey, what's going on with you, man? I'm like, what do you mean? And he points at my chest. And I already knew this, but I had been shot twice at this point. Holy My fuck. chest plate and oh, okay. so my magazine my magazine is all like frayed out yeah. and My push to talk all my radio is all shot up so um, so that you know I, I kind of emotionally I emotionally checked out at that point you know And uh, so it was determined that I was going to get back on the bird and uh, with the captain who's injured and the rest of the team going to police uh, go get Robbie and uh, bring him back so yeah man that was pretty rough man it, it i beat myself up for years um telling myself that it was my fault i could have saved him um uh, i felt like a, a coward like I, you know i, I felt like a coward because you know i emotionally checked out you know after you know but then you know i went to therapy and my therapist was like hey yo you just saw your A good buddy of yours on your team, he died in your arms. And then, oh, yeah, you had to face your own
2: mortality. Yeah. So so. after
1: that, you know, I didn't feel so bad about it. You know, I I, I didn't feel so bad about my actions. I felt horrible that Robbie died. But I was able to face my own needs in a better way
0: and Um, bring myself to a better place. That's twelve years ago, man. How, how do you how do you feel now? Uh, not just telling the story, but how do you feel about what you just described? How you felt in the moment? Do you have you? You know, so, made, did, do you understand? Do you understand what you did and why you did it at that time? Or oh yeah, yeah, I
1: have a full understanding. of what, what, what my body was going through. Right. Um, yeah. It could have happened. It could have happened sooner in that engagement. Uh, it just so happens that when I felt safe, it, it came crashing down on me, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: So, uh, you know, that, that's the price, you know, I want to be a green beret, you know? Right. And the price you pay for wanting to be a ranger, a green beret, a soldier in the military is that, Hey, yeah, you're going to move. You're going to lose friends, whether it be drinking and driving, suicide, um, accidents, even in war, you know? And so, I, I think and there's no way you know there's nothing prepares you for that at all and uh, so yeah it was rough on me man it was it was, it was really rough uh, so I try to you know every um, this was it about a month or two ago I put out hey call me if you're having a good if you're having a hard time you know give me you know give me give me a ring and I put uh, and DM me and then we'll talk on the phone and that week I must have talked to like eight guys, you know. That's crazy, man. Uh, from um, either the Goon, like who follow us on Goon, yeah, Twitter. yeah, yeah. You know, you the, know the, the most hated like,
0: group, the most hated group of Twitter. <laughs> was, uh, yeah, which which is ironic in its own right. But
1: yeah, it's kind of funny. But yeah, man, we uh, like eight guys called me up and was like, "Hey, you know, I'm just having a rough time. You know, how you know how do you get through this?" What, you know, and it's all about resources. pointing guys towards resources, um, and getting them the resources needed to get the help that they that they really need. I mean, because I mean, it wasn't until I got out of the army that I started seeing somebody, and and it was funny because they were like, "Hey, dude, you're totally normal. You're you're absolutely normal. Yeah. You just you know, let's just talk this out." And I'm like, "All right, cool, dude." So. So, yeah, 2008 was rough, man. And I went into 2009 um, thinking, I knew I, I knew I shouldn't have gone into 2009, period. But I did it anyway, you know, because mm-hmm. it was my duty. Uh, 2010, you know, was a rough year, but you know what? I was around good guys that, like, that team I was with was a solid team. And we just rocked.
0: Did you have anyone looking out for you though, personally, or was like, cause it just sounds like, it almost sounds like, and, and if I'm wrong, I want you to, to correct me, but it almost sounds like, Hey, as long as you're saying which trust me, I get it after four deployments and filling out those bullshit fucking PDHRAs myself. It almost sounds like if you say you're good, you're good. <laughs> you're going back.
1: Yeah, basically no one, no one was there to say, you know, and I wish somebody would have said put their arm around my shoulder and said, you know what, Hav? you need to sit this one out.
0: Yeah, that that's mm-hmm. fucking bull. This is my problem. And look, now I'm gonna go fucking ran on this shit right now is because like after 19 fucking years of this shit, there's still no one saying to the men like yourself. Who do this shit way more than I do or way more than the standard conventional army or the any of that other stuff like. You guys are the absolute fucking tip of the spear. You are the special operations fucking – you are the blunt (coughs) hammer who's supposed to enact everything that we want to do. And then there's no one saying or checking like, hey, hey, Javi, man, after everything you just went through, you just watched a dude that you died in your arms get the fucking Medal of Honor. Are you good to go do this again? Like there's no one asking that question? That's a fucking problem, man.
1: It is. It is. And and two, I could have said – I could have said something, but you know, you 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 know how it was, right? You know,
0: you you yeah. They they rely on you to say something, but you know what? Right. Why would you knowing what you do and who you are? You're the last person to say something because of everything that bleeds into what you are. You're not going to, regardless of whether you think it's right or not, because you don't want to let your fucking team down.
1: Yep, and and it's, it's it was really rough, man. And so I was lucky, like so. In 2000, 2010, the first unit, that team I was with, they all had some type of experience, except for a few. And uh, they were motivated, man. I had a good team sergeant, had a good team leader, a methodical team leader. And we just went wrecked house, man. It was like 2010 was great. And then uh, my time came up, you know, but uh, we started rotating back home, and I was the first to go home. And that's what Berg, Bo Bergdahl, yeah. uh, did. his dust one, event. and then and uh, then I missed that whole entire thing. Uh, Good. And for you. so after that, yeah. So after that, 2011 to 2013 was pretty chill. You know, I I had some combat deployments, but they're they're at a capacity where. I wasn't. I wasn't uh, engaged. I wasn't decisive, decisively engaged. And then, uh, it was not until 2014, 15, my last deployment that we went back to running together. So, and by that time, I was like done.
0: Where, where did you, where'd you go in 2014, 2015? I was up in Mass. Uh, I'm in NAS, okay. Because yeah. No, because uh, I, 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 my last one was 2015 and I was between Jordan, Kuwait, Qatar. Fucking, yeah. Uh, I was at UAE. So I, I don't know, man. Maybe we fucking were in. I'm pretty sure. Like, together or some shit or JTC and Jordan doing. it. Cause I, yeah. I used to watch all you fucking special forces dudes do all the fun shit while we sat there and smoked hookah pipes. That's about it.
1: <laughs> Jordan. You were there. You should have been there where the, uh, the fifth group guy got shot, right?
0: Uh, what was it? 2015?
1: Was that two or was that 16? But yeah. Uh, yeah, man. So the last few years, you know, I, I, I had to, so I, I took my, I took an approach. I wanted to have a decisive approach getting out of the military. Mm-hmm. And that approach had to be delivered every, every step of the way, you know. So I, I in 2000, uh, the 2013 trip to Afghanistan, I was working with a captain who was a National Guardsman, Special Forces at uh, National Guardsman team leader. That uh, he was an ROTC instructor. He was like, "Hey man, it's the best thing I ever did." I'm like, "Really?" I'm like, "All right." He goes, "I go. Would you recommend it for someone like myself, transitioning trans- as a, tra- a step of transitioning out of the military?" He goes, "Most definitely." You know, you get to go to school, get to be around, you know, people. You try to get yourself climatized uh, to certain events. I'm like, yeah, sure. And so I get there and it was a good, it was the best thing I could ever do. But it was also, it started off as the worst thing I ever did. (laughs) Because, you know, you're so used to being around other army dudes. Oh, yeah. And uh, you get to the point where you're like, you, you want to tell this joke only that another E seven or E eight would understand. But then you got all these, you know, 17, 18 year old recruits yeah. sitting in front of you. You're like, man, you don't even get it. <laughs>
2: yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. Uh,
1: so I, there was a little bit of loneliness there, you know, and then, uh, af- but after that's when I started getting help and everything, and. You know? Yeah, and I started my stepping stones out, started working on my degree.
0: Uh, which I you probably, got now? Go ahead and which flex I got, that. I flex that. Yeah, from? Where, where's that degree from? Uh, University of Louisville. It's a fucking cardinal. Damn. Didn't, yeah. didn't get that UCF degree, man. What the no, UCF wouldn't accept me, man. What? Yeah. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, like, uh, they said I didn't have a foreign language. Uh, you I was know like, well, French. I know French <laughs> and Russian, you know? And they were like, that doesn't count. You have to have it at an accredited college. And oh, like, Oh, that's
0: that. such bullshit. That's so crazy.
1: Yeah, so the uh, ROTC program had for all its uh, cadre, this program called uh, CFDC. So cadre, facilitators, and in DC doesn't matter. Doctor Nation,
2: yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I took that, and there was a, it was aimed at organizational leadership in yep. – uh, the developmental training or something. Yeah. So, uh, whatever my degree is in.
0: Yeah, no Go. no, it's I like I said man, I, I that that organizational leadership it's an it's a new discipline but it's kind of really something uh like I said, I hope you roll into it and, and do the masters program because it's you'll fucking Yeah. Um, I'm going to
1: take a I'm going to take a few years off, man.
0: Yeah. I uh, might <laughs> No, I got it. Well, I, 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 go hey, I got all, hey, anything you need, man. I got the, I, I still, mm-hmm. they're all over there. I got every fucking book still in the damn program. Like, you know, yeah. don't, don't buy them. I'll send them to you. Uh, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> so, dude, uh, I,
1: that, uh, that, that, that's, that, that, that school, going back to college put me in the hospital. So, it's the hospital? Yeah, dude. So I was, I was going to school full time, teaching full time, doing family stuff and a bunch of other stuff that I was on my plate. And dude I broke down on Thanksgiving and I, I had to check myself into the hospital. Um like this- my heart started beating real fast and I passed out in my office. So Damn. yeah, man, I had to check myself in.
0: What fucking happened So I had
1: to take a semester off.
0: Okay.
1: And then I finished it up uh yeah, this summer. So or this last spring. So I'm pretty stoked.
0: Are you healthy otherwise? I figured out yeah, what the yeah. issue was or? yeah i'm just fat <laughs> <laughs> hey man you know what? look i, I watch the videos look it- it- it's it's good because you know what you're one of the other goons who's like me that just fucking records himself working out you know yeah Poorly. my my whole thing initially when i started my instagram was just to make fun of uh like you know crossfit I-, I do yeah i do crossfit right so my whole initial thing was like bad at crossfit because it's me like I'm doing CrossFit workouts and I'm I'm okay at them, but I'm really fucking bad at them. So right. like, like cause there's always those people who are like, Oh, I'm so serious. I'm gonna go to the CrossFit Games. I ain't going to the fucking CrossFit Games. I'm fucking 39 years old. I'm just here to fucking work out and and I, I do a, yeah. I do a few things good. And that's what it right. was. And now I, I I switched it to, to good at bourbon and but I still post myself working out stupid and doing dumb shit. But no, I see you doing your work, man. That's fucking good. Like yeah. You're, you're yeah, I can try, try to put it in. I didn't put it in this Solid morning,
1: magic. Yeah, I didn't put it in this morning. I woke up and I, I had to crud and I was like, oh
0: man. That's cool. You know you know when you you know what you do in those moments? You do a hundred burpees for time. That's it, man. Just knocking it yeah, out. Yeah, that's what I heard, man. That's <laughs> <my hair. laughs> so I wanted to ask you though, just real quick about the RTC thing that you sent in, because I don't know, is it like a thing within the SF community? Because I've been to two, well, so when I was a drill and we went out, they sent us out during a cycle break. For whatever reason, we had like a six week cycle break, which never happens. But we were, it, to be fair, we were augmenting some other shit in 2009 and the surge was going on. So we had a, we had a, a cycle break and we, they sent us out to Fort Lewis when they were still doing LDAC, which was the, like the leadership Leader, development yeah. assessment course for ROTC cadets. It goes on at Fort Knox now, but at the time it was still in Fort Lewis. Um, and that's, I go back to what we said before we started recording, small world, you know, the, the master sergeant of the ROTC program of every, well, the NCOIC of everybody there at the time, he was one of the drill sergeants when I was a basic training. Oh, wow. He was in my company. He wasn't mine, wow. but he was, I remember it was Drill Sergeant Hundley. That motherfucker was the dude, iron fucking chiseled chin and everything. Wow. And I still remember him saying, Sergeant I or not starting at the time. He's like private ski. I will fuck you up. You fuck up. my. Life. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember going up to him and I got a parade rest. Cause he was at EA at the time. I was a little E6. I was like, Hey, uh, you know, master Sergeant Hundley. Uh, do you remember Fort Jackson, this bullshit? He's like, he's like, yes, yeah, our ski and I'll still fuck you up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but it's a small world, but I bring that up because, uh, Uh, Two of the other cadre that were out there at the time, I remember seeing them. They had the fucking long tab on, and I was just like, man, what's FF doing out at fucking ROTC? And then when I first came out to do recruiting, uh, I was out at Sacramento State, and I went and met with the OIC at the time. But her NCOIC was uh, another – I think it was an E7 or an E8. Probably an E7. But another SF dude, and I was just wondering, like, is that something that you guys get offered to kind of – I don't know if it's yeah. a broadening assignment or if it's something to kind of get you guys out of the fucking operational environment for a while or what? Yeah.
1: For me, it was like, hey, you know what, Huff? Thanks. You put in 10 hard years. <laughs> and uh, guess what, man? You, and you, you got UCF. Like, what's better yeah, than that, man? <laughs> yeah, man. And so, <laughs> yeah. And so, for, yeah, and a lot of SF guys, I tell them, you know, uh, like I just got my, my – uh, Third group guy replaced me over at UCF and he called me up and the same day I had a seventh group guy call me and uh and he was working over at Tampa and he was like, Yeah man, uh the guy from Tampa, he was like, Yeah, man, I'm just looking to chill out. You know, I've been here at Tampa for the last few years and I'm like, dude, you've been hiding out. You know what? <laughs> Who are you? You've been, if you've been t- you haven't been doing anything if you're at Tampa, right? So <laughs> my buddy called me up, and uh, he was like, hey, man, I really need this break. And I'm like, all right, yo, I got you. He was on the SIF. And so those guys are going all the time. So yeah. when, he, when he said he needed a break, I knew he needed a break. And I was out the door. So uh, I was on my way out the door. So, yeah, I dropped his name in the hat, and I was like, uh, I called up HRC and I was like, "Hey, this is the guy right here. This is who, who we need." Um, and he looks like he and I could be brothers, you know, two black <laughs> dudes, you know. And uh, he shows up. He shows up to uh, to introduce himself before he shows up, right? And I'm still there in uniform. And they were like, they saw it, like when you see us stand next to you, to one yeah, another. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, dude, we're, we can wreck house, you know. <laughs> So yeah, the, the cadets were all like, like big eyed and, uh, but yeah, you know, we're in that tab, man. I I, I took it serious. Uh, I try to be the best. I try to be the best me I could be out there, you know.
0: Yeah, that's because amazing. it took
1: because it took me so long to get it. Exactly, I wasn't earn that
0: fucking it, thing, man.
1: You know? uh, well, I wasn't going to take that crack
0: That's the other thing, though. I, I think what what this is what's good because, like I said, I had um, so I. I I joined the reserves initially and whatever the way the world was like, we were mobilized to go support the operation in Iraq during the invasion. Like I spent a lot of time on active duty in the reserves, but I remember going and doing the drill sergeant program through the reserves. And, you know, I did the Fort Benning thing, which I told you about. And then my last probably year, uh, well last six months was at Fort Knox doing this, this LDAC, well, not LDAC, LTC, But at Fort Knox, with ROTC cadets. But what I think is important, man, is um, those kids need to see guys like yourself. They need to see the absolute fucking best of what the Army offers. They don't need to see the fucking 92 golf. And and no offense to Cooks and shit, but they don't need to see that guy who's like an E6 92 golf. Like, that's nothing that's going to inspire – and it's going to – look, I don't give a fuck, man. It's my podcast, whatever. It comes off bad. I got it. But you know what? No one gives – an E6 92 golf or a 92 five, anything in the 92 series outside of alpha and fucking, you know, is, is not going to inspire people. But they need to see 17, 18, 19-year-old kids who are coming in to become officers in the United States Army. They need to see men like yourself or women who who have done – been there and done that let's put it that way they need to see that especially in this environment because we are really we are we're we're shutting down a lot of this stuff man there's not a lot of people doing these things anymore so they need to see men and women like yourself with the fucking combat patches with all the cool guy badges the tabs all that shit because you want to inspire this next group of people coming in who are they're taking our place and you want them to, to to try and Aspire and live up to what it is that you did and have those experiences.
1: Yeah, you know, it was awesome. Like when I I first joined, I I went to Fort Jackson too for a. Oh, yeah, what up?
0: Charlie161, what up? (laughs) (laughs) I was in the Scouts Out. I don't even know what the (laughs) time. Scouts Out. Everybody scouts out, man. (laughs) Scouts out.
1: Scouts out. So, yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I, I remember like every NCO I saw was. Like a god, you know, like,
0: yep, yeah, absolutely. CIP,
1: you know, EIB at the time, you know, jump master, you know, senior parachutist, air assault, pathfinder, you know, and back in the day, that yeah. was a big And then, you know, then you get around guys who, so like, going back to, uh, like when I first started, I was in the uh, Fort Campbell, I was the only lower enlisted in my. Company in my battalion with both airborne and air assault wings. Cool shit. And it wasn't because I was high speed; it's because I worked the system. <laughs> yep. you know?
0: Yeah. No, trust me, I know.
1: <laughs> you know. I worked the system, you know. And so I, I was very, I was very fortunate. Uh, but um, at the end of the day, man, it, it's you know that didn't like when I when I got into SF. Those badges didn't matter anymore,
2: man. It was yeah, about. Yeah,
1: yeah. It was it was about because you know in a in a regular army that's all you have sometimes to yep. move ahead you know to make you stand out and uh, stand out differently from your peers but in SF man we all we really wanted all they really cared about was um, hey I, I need you to be proficient enough to talk to some you know local national and. Get them to shoot their weapon in the right direction, you know. And so that was that was that was you know it wasn't what you had on your uniform that uh, that made you who you were. It was your reputation. It was what you could do at the end of the day, you know. So um, yeah, and and I really looked up to. But when I was in the eighty second and and hundred first, I really looked up to my NCOs who had all those scares. You know, because I wanted that experience, and um, I'm kind of glad. that when we went to the ACU uniform, it was all that stuff became optional. And so, you know, <laughs> kind of also like,
0: ugly, ugly. Let's let's point yeah. that out.
1: <laughs> yeah, they were ugly. Yeah, they were. Good. That was dude that was the worst thing. Like, how many uniform changes did we go through in our career? Shit, I I came
0: in in 02, so you were a few years before me, but you saw Mm -hmm. the same shit. We went to BDUs, to DCUs, to ACUs, to the OCP. Well, no, then we went to Multicam, then we went to OCPs where we're at now. But like I was talking about in the group, like to me, like the funniest shit that we've experienced is the boots. Like, we've (laughs) gone through this entire iteration where like, civilian companies never participated man like you know what right. I mean? like you you probably know this better like if you were when you joined in 98 did you did you have an option to buy anything that wasn't army issued like no exactly no. right and but now you're inundated with it you go to the yes. px and you can find literally everything you want to find online you can right. do and i don't know if it's all started from veterans or people who connected to veterans but Man, when I went, like, I remember in 2003, well, yeah, when we got mobilized to go into Iraq, and I, I went to CIF, and I was told they didn't have my boots because I had the most popular boot size. So I had to get a size and a half up, you know, because I wasn't a priority. I wasn't a fucking. guy. It was guy, like, like it was,
1: a Ted regular.
0: Yeah, like, <laughs> uh, yeah exactly. Ted regular, and they gave me 11 and a half regular. I was like, oh, all right, well, I'll make it work. And, and I right. got two uniform, two DCU uniforms because they just didn't have the supply, whatever. That's fine. But I, I just remember, I talked about this morning, like, they gave us those, like, the initial desert boots were those, they were modeled after the jungle boot with that
2: yeah. sole. Yeah.
0: Like, all of us at, because I, I mobilized out of Fort Stewart in Georgia to go to Iraq. We we took it down to the fucking, the, the Korean lady at the boot store. Like, hey, yeah. change our soles out. We put the ripple soles on because that was yeah. the last uh, but it its just crazy to me to see like the like the evolution in equipment from 2003 to now, man. It's just—it's. It, remember awesome. shining
1: your boots like the
2: ritual yes. you would go. Through.
0: Well, that's what I, just, dude. My biggest thing when I became a drill sergeant, I was like, "What the fuck are we supposed to do with privates?" Because like literally, 50% yeah. of my time in basic training in AIT was shining that's- boots. How do we make up that time? Right. Right. <laughs> like. Yeah, yeah dude. it's gone, like, man. It's gone. It's a very, long time. like you would go
1: home. I remember going home, put you know, hanging up, you know, taking off my uniform, ironing it, starching it, you know. Yep.
0: And then, because
1: uh, <laughs> we were poor, you know, you had to you had to do it yourself. Then, Especially um, with
0: the BDU, man. Was- <laughs> oh yeah. And then you, uh, and then like
1: every like once a month, it was a treat for me to you know get my uniforms pressed. Yeah. And then I'll sit there, watch Fox News, and spit-shy my, uh, <laughs> spit my boots with uh, with cheesecloth, you know. And, <laughs> and that, that, that was life, you know. And Yep. And then we went to deep, the Desert Boots, and it was like...
0: They were shitty, man. I don't know what you like, guys got, but I know what we got.
1: Yeah, we got the Desert Boots, like the oh. regular, like the Belleville Desert Boots.
0: Yeah, I, but it was to me like the issue was like you're giving us these boots with the platform of that jungle boot sole, which was like little the, those little squares on the bottom, right? With like, the right, little, right. And, like I'm like, where does this, what environment does this fucking work in? It doesn't work in urban. It doesn't work in sand. But hey, here you go. Here's here's the initial issue. Go, uh, you know, go defeat Iraq.
1: Yeah. Now you can't find a pair of boots that's less than two hundred dollars. Right. right.
0: Nothing good. Uh, that's for sure.
1: Nothing good. Yeah, you know, I, I was like, went online looking for some Bellevilles, and they were like a hundred eighty-seven dollars. I was like, holy crap. Yep,
0: yeah. uh, I wear the Nike at this point. Um, what's it the SFB, the S- Special Field Boot? Yeah, yeah they I have the little spec- soft sole. Well, the first gen was super soft, right? And now it, it, the, the, those became illegal fairly quick on post. And so Nike went and did away with it and like the SFB two that they have now that version, uh, it, it, that soul is a fucking beast, man. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I wore that first one, uh, for my last deployment. And then I got these, this SFB two, I got them about a year and a half ago. Um, they've got like the, the, the sole on the inside is for rope climbing, which is odd, right? Cause it's like, right. but it's all it's like it's like it's 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 like shark toothed on the inside and then you know the 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 the, the interior or the the external sole is just it's super hard man i've had that boot for a year and a half and there's not an ounce of wear on it like it doesn't wear down it's a little heavier than the first gen the first gen was like perfect it was nine ounces it was the boot for like marching because we got those when the, when we were drill sergeants and those first came out. Man, if you wanted to do a ruck march, that was a boot to wear. It was nine ounces. You couldn't even feel it. It was yep. perfect for that. But it wore down super quick. And now this one it, it is perfect. Like the Nike boot to me is the perfect. You know how Americans are, man. We need to, yeah. It has to look good. I don't, I don't care if it works, but doesn't look good.
1: <laughs> yeah, so funny thing about boots, man. So I, it was 2010. We were doing the Marja push. And we do this hit, and uh, it was like one of the last hits we did while I was with uh, while we were down there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we we're uh, we're hit, uh, taking uh, CH forty sevens in Chinook helicopters, and uh, I was an elite element. So we we come in, we land, and the and the crew chief is like, "Hey, it's muddy," and so we're like, "All right, cool." So. I'm out with my dog. We were first ones off the bird and I'm leaving my assault element to a wall. Well, my foot sinks. I got these brand new (laughs) approach shoes. These things were awesome. You know, they were comfortable. They were great. They had great grip, great traction. Um, and my, I went down to my knee in the, in the, into the mud and, um, I, my job was to get to the wall and blow a hole in the wall so that we could continue on with the assault. Well, I'm sitting there forcing my leg out and I lose my shoe. <laughs> you know, $150 shoes. I lose, I, lose, I lose my right shoe. So now, you know, I got a job to do. You know, I got to go blow this hole in the wall. Uh, I end up not doing it because there was a door there. And I, and then we were gonna blow the door. And then I twisted the knob and it was open. So we went pouring through. Well, anyway, we went and uh, I went. You know, we did the whole assault, and I had one shoe on and <laughs> running around in my sock. And uh, I had to break into one of the bizarre uh, shops and still a uh, and find the flip flop. And only <laughs> and so. The only flip, the flip flop I could find was like a size, like it was like four sizes too small, and it was the wrong foot. So apparently <laughs> Afghans all have left feet. You know, so, I'm walking around the objective. We're, we're doing this mission. I got, I'm missing the shoe. I got a flip flop uh, duct tape to my sock, and I'm running around. <laughs> so it, it, was, it, was, it was, it's, it's like little things like that that you that you really miss about combat you know just little funny stories
0: it's it's just shit like that man that like people don't they never consider it you know what i mean like um have you watched the outpost yet have you seen it
1: no so yeah i was i wasn't far away from our our firebase supported that uh that outpost
0: yeah, no, but what's pretty cool is, like, uh, one of my guys in my office, he was there yeah, as a 19-year-old PFC, and I've heard all his stories about it. But, um, no, I just think that's, like, a perfect example of, like, it show like, the actual movie, you know, yeah, it overlaps a ton of stories, and a lot of those dudes are upset about it because I get it. I'll, I'll never, you know, talk about what people want something to be, but it is what it is. It's fucking Hollywood. We don't control it. Right. Um, but it shows a lot of like the dumb shit and the dumb situations that present themselves. And like people are just, they take the shit for granted and they think like that happened. Yeah, that fucking happened because you know yeah. what? Fucking dumb shit happens in those situations and you overcome it. But don't, don't get it twisted. Don't confuse it. The fucking enemy, they got some dumb shit that they got to deal with too. We are just happen to be a little better at it.
1: Right, right. <laughs> so in 2006, we were up there doing an assessment at Cop Keaton, and at the time it was called we called it uh, a Dash. We didn't uh, Bob Cam Dash. We didn't uh, call it Cop Keaton because I don't think he had died at that
0: yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, uh,
1: Lieutenant again. Keaton,
0: which is a so, fucked up uh, situation all on its own. But whatever. Yeah. Right.
1: So just to paint a picture, you got high ground all the way around, and um, and the Firebase, the cop, is at the – where 90 degrees meet. Like, where two mm-hmm. lines meet at yeah. 90 degrees. Meet. And they're at the lowest point in the valley, the lowest, lowest point. I mean, if I, if I walked up the hill like t- – if I went uphill like 20 feet, I would be standing above the, um, the uh, HESCO barriers. That's how bad it was.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. The morale was really bad. It was just horrible. So we were up there, The we were planning on doing a hit and uh, just in the location north of of their cop because that's where they kept getting hit. So um, there was this private man, real short story. Uh, so <laughs> he was having some issues. He was on the LRAS. I don't know if you ever messed around with the LRAS. It's and that's so scout that,
0: shit, right? Long range, yeah. whatever. Yeah. It's
1: like it's, yeah. Big box and it yeah. it does, you know, night vision, um, uh, thermal, la- laser range yeah. finder,
0: fucking scout shit. Yeah, got it.
1: Yeah, so I think it was like the first night we were there, and oh boy, this private is sitting in the turret, he's like, and I'm going around checking the perimeter, and I was like, hey man, how's it going? And he was like, hey, I see some guy, I see two guys, uh, looks like they're setting up a mortar. Did you call it in? He goes, I'm afraid to. I'm like, are you kidding me? Call it in. He goes, I'm afraid if I say the wrong thing, my my uh, my staff sergeant is going to get mad at me. I'm like, all right, let me see what you see. And so we wrote everything down. It was like, sure enough, yeah, these guys are, uh, are uh, uh, setting up a mortar. He's uh, insurgents. So I get on the radio. I was like, hey, platoon uh, daddy, come here. He comes over here. And he's like, why are you on my radio? I go, well, you got a private here who has a report. We got a mortar position setting up. Here's the nine. Here's your uh, call for fire. Yeah, you know, go. And so he runs back. He goes, I'll, I'll deal with you later. And he, so I'm sitting there with the kid. I'm saying, Hey, just focus on what's going on in the Ras. Let me know if anything changes. So, man, they launch. Uh, so he gets back to the mortar pit, the platoon sergeant does, and they launch some mortars. Missing that they're like 45 degrees off. I mean, that's a huge variant. You know, and you can't even bracket in at that point. You know, you got to reset the gun. So they're trying to reset the gun. These guys are trying to set the, set up their gun. And finally, I was like, hey, dude, just open up with your saw and shoot. And he was like, no, 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 I can't. I'll get in trouble. So I'm glad he did because uh, as we were talking about this, the, uh, the unit sent down – a squad, a QRF squad down the road to go interdict these guys. They ended up killing all the guys. But the moral of the story was these guys were at Cop They're their they their like their morale is in the in the dirt. They're uh, they're tired. They're sitting in the low ground. They have security sucks. Yeah. And this went I'm surprised it went all the went on as long as it did and they didn't do this sooner you know
0: what What year was that was that when you were there
1: um i was there and that was 2006 the first time i went there
0: okay so that was before this whole like oh the yeah shit shit. okay yeah. i was just curious no because i i, I want i want to like talk to my guy and tell him hey listen to listen go to the two-hour mark and listen to this shit because like yeah. i feel like to me this ties into what i talked with with joe joe kent last night is like man we're in this constant state of reset and uh hey it's the next rotation in and and there's we don't allow for forget continuity we don't allow for like finish your fucking job And, and i and i tie it back to world war ii um, and this is just a, this is just a very broad hypothesis, but it's like, you know, when, when the, when the, when, when everyone went away for world war II, that's what you were going to do. You'll come back when the fucking job's done. Right. right. And now it's like, we are so built in and, and we have so much ingrained with these nine month deployments and this is our rotation. And when the next group comes in, they completely do whatever the fuck they want to do. And they, they totally disregard the previous deployment or whoever you replaced. Cause I've seen it. I mean, I have, man, I, I hate to say it, but it's like, you, you see what the person did before you. And it's like, eh, watch what I do. Right. Right. And, uh, and I, and I feel that like, that's, I was always taught, leave your foxhole better than what you found it. Right. Right. And I don't think we do that anymore, man. Like uh, we don't build that grenade sump. You know, we don't, we don't check the the level. We don't, we don't check We don't do any of that. We, we go and build a new fucking foxhole. Right. And I think that's the, that's the issue, man. Like, because you know what, let me, let me get your take on this because as a man who's been there and done that multiple years, fucking seven deployments, if you guys don't know, like Javier has been through, um, man you joined in 1998 you went to selection in 2001 after 9-11 happened you you finally got there and did all the stuff that you did You, you you laid out in like just great detail of what it was like to be with someone who was awarded the medal of honor like you've been there and done everything a u.s soldier is expected to do and I'm just curious what you feel like, man, after knowing like, dude, we're in 19 years of war and it doesn't seem like it's ending despite all of our politicians, our president's best intentions. How do you feel in 2020, man, knowing the stuff that you joined on, knowing the stuff, put it this way, the stuff that's going on now didn't exist in 1998 when you joined. You went to selection- Two months after 9-11, this stuff's still going on. You had an entire career. You've since retired from the Army. It's still ongoing. What, what do you – how does that make you feel, man?
1: Dude, it, it, it depresses me because, I mean, we could have gone on and done so much. So much. We could have done so much more. Um, I think personally, we should have got rid of PowerPoint and got officers back yeah, and got officers back in the field, um, in combat, conducting combat operations. I mean, how many lieutenant colonels did you see pull the trigger? You know, how many sergeant majors did you see? You know, out there running, you know, running logistics, you know, running the the casualty uh, collection, the big collect casualty collection points. You know, the thing is, if you want a war to get over quick fast in a hurry. Just think of Desert Storm, you know, all the generals in the in their in their major commands, they were there were boots on the ground. They weren't sitting back in you know a distant fob. You know, they were they were actually boots on the ground, you know doing, you know, commanding things. They were running things. And so yeah, you get rid of PowerPoint, you get rid of presentations, you get rid of automation you get the colonels back, those lieutenant colonels back in the field. He's an important his
0: officer, I feel.
1: Yeah, you know, we you were watching Patton. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, his whole S shop was always <laughs> on the move, you know. And they never hunkered. You know, they, they would hunker down for a few days. But you know what? They were always on the move. They were getting dirty. And that's the thing, man. You want this war to get over. Get the officers out of the air-conditioned command centers and get them on the ground making decisions, you know, getting in the fight. And um, I think that's and that's where we're going to be at, man, until they get back to that mindset. Because if we fight against the Russians and we fight against the, uh, uh, the Chinese, guess where their officers are going to be? They're going to be on the ground. They're going to be on the ground commanding troops because that's the way they're designed, you know. It's interesting
0: um, that you bring that up. Um. Thank goodness
1: for you know. Thank goodness, thank goodness, we have NCOs because without it, we don't need an officer. You know, I, I don't say that to like to my own horn. I mean, no, but we, you,
0: your your, your specialty is a little different, man. Absolutely. No, even even in the like even in the regular army,
1: our NCO has more. Our our high, our senior NCOs have more yeah. confidence than oh, yeah. most most other countries senior officers right so it's we don't we we will be fine without you know without those officers in the field you know that kind of you know just kind of like negates everything I said about getting officers out there but no I, I don't, don't really I, I honestly think if you want to get this over with I think getting the officers back in the field fighting, then they won't be, you know, well, out to chase some cush command that they know yeah. they're going to spend nine months in a in an air conditioned talk. So
0: I, I have two, I have I have uh, two stories along that line. And he's our current. He, he he's no longer the Army Chief of Staff. He's the Joint Chief of Staff, and that's General Milley right. from the Army, right? So I first met General Milley in 2013 when I was in Afghanistan. He was the IJC commander in, IJ, in uh, Afghanistan. He was a three-star general at the time. And I would just, based on what I got to do at the time, I was, I was fortunate enough to sit in his weekly IJC briefs because it was just part of my battle rhythm, right? And I remember very distinctly two situations, two scenarios. One was... Um, there was a tick that was reported up, troop in combat, or, uh, troops in contact, was pointed up, and um, he sat there. He, he was very measured. He took in all the the, the information, and what he, he, he put back was, you know, never doubt the soldier behind the front sight post. That was his thing. That was what he said. Like, that was his saying, don't doubt the man or woman behind the front sight post, and I took away from that. I was, you know, I was an NCOIC at a staff level at that point, and I was just like, man, that's fucking cool to hear. Like, this is the guy – you know, aside from General Dunford at the time in the, in the region, like, this is the dude. And he was saying, hey, like, whatever you do, don't sit there and try and fucking undermine what your men and women on, on the at the actual operational level are doing. You guys are at the strategic level. You're, you're, you're getting big picture on everything, but don't doubt and don't try and undermine that man or woman behind the front side post. And I thought that was a great message. Um, and then the other story was... <laughs> I love this shit. So again, we're in an IJC brief. Um, in the middle of it, a tick comes up again and he asked, I remember he asked like, well, what unit is this? What's going on? Because it was, it was literally ongoing while the brief was going. And this company commander speaks up and he's like, Hey, that's uh, Hey, sir. That's, that's my unit. And I, I instantly he fires back. Why aren't you there? Right. Right. <laughs> and this, this this company commander had he, he had no answer because you know, I, I now don't get me wrong, like I empathize with that company commander, but I also can see both sides like, Hey, hey, you know what? You're sending your entire company out on a fucking convoy during a black road and you're not there with them. That kind of speaks to exactly what you said. Like these officers need to be out there with their with their soldiers. But then also that was also the instinct to me. That's what I initially took away from it. The instinct from General Milley, a man, if you read this fucker's bio, this dude's done everything from the platoon leader on right. in combat. Like General Milley's bio will not you, but me, yeah. it will make you feel inadequate because of his bio. Right. Like it's fucking insane. <coughs> in well, the thing room, is, yeah, go for go it.
1: Ahead. No. So along, along that note though, it's the, the captains are out there, you know, no doubt yeah. the captains and lieutenants, they're out there. I'm yeah, talking about a choice. the field grades, you know. The field grades need to be out there. Like, I can count. I can tell you every battalion commander that I've ever served under has been on an operation with me.
0: Okay. That, you know, um, the, I mean. Do you think that's because you're SF, though, and it's kind of expected or what? No, it's not expected at all, man. Okay, okay. No, okay, is. that's fair. That's good. Because I, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah,
1: it's, But I've, I've gone out every, you know, I've had three or four battalion commanders and every single one of them gone out on a mission with us. And it was nice, you know, it was nice to see them out there. Um, they weren't out there to like take charge of the, of the mission or anything, but they were out there to see, you know, just to see what we're doing. And, and you know, were they singing lead? Nope, not once. Um, they never gotten to a tick with us, but if we did, it would, it would have been awesome because we would have instant approval right there, you
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. So, yeah. Uh,
1: But, yeah, you know, and but on the other side of it, you know, I can sit here all day and, and complain about uh, officers not being out in the field. But their resource, you know, officers' main job is to be resource managers, right? Yep. So yeah, you're right. You know, what better way is, you know, for them to be in a position – yeah, where there, there are back in the rear where they can be that resource manager and making sure you're getting the air that you need, making sure you're getting, you know, logistical runs out, you know, you know that, that uh, class five and class six logistical runs when you're running low and chow and ammo, you know.
0: Uh, so so we, we know it, what class six means, bro. You want your oh, fucking yeah. bourbon. We got you. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But yeah, you you pick up when I'm picking down, man. It's, it's, <laughs> it's really important. get it those off. I, I feel like um, the fat. The more officers are out in the maneuver elements, the faster these wars would get over. You know, just because they're in the trenches, they're seeing what the guys are going through. Um, I'm tired of you know watching movies where it's just the lowest guys of the you know the lowest guys on the it's the guys like you and me that are putting in the blood, sweat, and tears, and then you know, there's those guys who get to go home and you know we may not get to go home and see mama, but you know there's that rear echelon guy who's at the green bean and uh pizza hut, you know, they just shoving their face full yeah. full, you know, they're serving their country, you know, and they're probably yeah. doing a really good job. They are, but
2: they're
1: you know, doing
0: I, what they're supposed to do at that point. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. There's, you know, there's,
1: yeah, but um, so there's so that heart that is always—it's like that feeling of, you know, I I, I really don't want to poop on their service, you know, I really don't want to crap all over how they serve because they're out there. At least they're out there, you know. Um, would I want them outside the wire? No, because they're probably you know hurt themselves just walking outside the you know going outside the wire, you know. And so yeah. I'd, I'd rather for them to be doing whatever they're doing in the fob drinking all the green bean going to salsa night, and working out the gym you know?
0: yeah you know man, i mean i could because i've seen it all through the, the four deployments man so i I've, I've seen it all from that that level of where you're, you're going out and doing stuff but then you're, you're also you get to do salsa night so i've seen it all um you know they need it they, you know those guys they need it do, you know? but you, you, it, it's almost separate from what you guys do man because your deployments aren't uh, your, your stuff tends to be very focused on a, a specific thing. And ours are just like, Hey man, it's, it's your next time in the rotation. Right. So, yeah, well, you know what? I, I don't want to
1: like diminish their anybody. No, I don't think you
0: are. I just, but, but enough people, I think we get it, man. Like whoever's going to listen to this is going to get it. Like they understand, like there, there's a segment and I'm a part of that segment. Who I don't, I don't go out and do DA direct action shit like you do. Okay. I got it. Right. Uh, but I, at the same time, being where I was on the last two deployments, I'm not fucking participating in sauce tonight. Cause I don't fucking want to do that shit. I just want to go sit in my fucking room and go to sleep. But if there's poker night, I'll go play poker. Cause I did do that in right. Afghanistan a lot. And I just want to work out and get in shape. That's all I did. Like that was, right. that was my deployment. I did my job and I fucking worked out twice a week. Uh, that's why I said to Joe last night and then without getting into details, like, man, I love being deployed because I didn't do what you guys did but I loved what I was able to do for myself personally. I was able to finish one degree. I was able to just work out constantly in in terms of doing like, yeah, I had 12 hour days of my job, but man, all the other time that I could fill, it was all about myself. Like it was working on me and I love that. I don't, I don't have that anymore. Um,
1: Yeah. You know, and I I missed, that's what I can say the same, you know, even (laughs) though we were probably doing missions and stuff, you know, there's a lot of time I can focus on just me, you know, yeah. and I can c- contemplate the mysteries of, you know, Call of Duty, you know, for the 19th time.
0: Man, I, was, I was trying to figure out the fucking mysteries of Madden. I've been figuring that yeah. shit out since Iraq <laughs> in 2003, man. That's a great yeah. story I'll have to tell you another time, but. <laughs>
1: yeah. but yeah, dude, it, this has been a, uh, yeah, the, I, I love talking about my career, but more importantly, I like to talk about, uh, you know where we're at today and you know i yeah, mean
0: that, that's what i want to get into next man before we we, we get yeah. out of here you i i tried to find it i don't know if you took it off or if i just overlooked it but a few weeks ago you posted a great video that i i think a lot of people took a lot of uh whether it was motivation or just you know it just kind of spoke to what a lot of people were thinking but what do you think man like as a man like yourself, who's you're married, you have a family, like you're you're out of the military at this point. You have to rely on the others that come after you. But where do you think we are right now, man, in this country? Like, what do you, What is your takeaway as we lead into this new election?
1: I think uh, so. I think we're in a place where we haven't been. You know, like when we uh, when we do a field exercise. And we, we exercise all the you know, you you, you exercise your retrans, or your uh, your convoy operations, your refueling operations, and you look for snags in your in the problem set, right? Yep. I think that's where we're at right now. You know, we're right now we're we're our our way of life is being stressed and Where right now, I guarantee the government is taking notes on what's going on, what's working, what's not working, what what talking points can I say to get people to go one direction? How can I get them? You know, how can I? I think there's a lot of. I'm not saying that the government's trying to manipulate us, but they're looking at how we're reacting to things, and so as a man looking at all this. I don't know what to think, you know, because half the time I think I got it right, and then I find out I don't have it right, you know. (laughs) Um, You know, it just um, and the video you're talking about is uh, I told you know don't don't be yeah I'm not like look man a lot of us I want I want I want people to be proud of who they are regardless if they're black white green red gay straight transsexual mutant. Teenage turtle. I don't care as long as you know as long as you are proud of, of who you are and you Want I'll, I'm gonna give you that respect and that recognition. Yeah, what I asked in return, you know is the same and exactly. What we're today. We're not seeing them and we're not yeah. seeing We're seeing just a one-way it has to be my way or the highway and so it's forcing people to do a couple things. If you're white, it's forcing you to say, hey, do you like black people? And you, you know, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, oh yeah, I love black people. You know, and I love them, you know? And <laughs> I, no, 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 dude, look, check this out. I'll, I just want people to say, look, hey, I have my opinions. I can voice my opinions. And whoever asked for that opinion, need to take it, you know, You don't need to get all upset and, you know, start name calling and all these other things, you know, cause I have two, I have two biracial daughters Mm -hmm. and, um, and nowadays, you know, to hear them say, Hey, you know, I've never, you know, I I, I don't receive, uh, racism from people that don't look like me. I reach, I get racism from people who, who do look like me, you know? And so yes. my, you know, it, and I'm like, holy crap, you know, and I experienced the same thing, you know, I, I experienced, you know, because, um, cause there's this thought out there that those of us who work hard, who are black and work hard for what we got, we forget. It's this this preconception that we forget or we're bootlickers or we're Uncle Tom's. Um, we forget where we come from. And that's not necessarily the case. It's like if you ever built something and you're proud of it, you know what work you put into it. Like, you know, I went to Selection. <coughs> and I, I worked for that. You know, yeah. I, I worked for that. You, something that fucking for most people will never
0: fucking finish and you did it.
1: Right, you know, and um, so and that's something that you can never take away from me until you right. start chipping away at the very things that got me to there, you know. Um, I, I'm a patriot, man. I, I'm a patriot first. You know, I, I, I love my country. And, and I told my wife, you know, I, I would probably be one of these guys. I would probably be a cons- considered a terrorist if things didn't go the way that I
2: <laughs> uh, You know,
1: because I, I – I think I would probably go down that route, you know, you know I, I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't tell people what I, what, what, I was doing, but I would be doing it, you know, <laughs> you know, cause, you know, cause a lot of times people do those things, you know, they join militias. They,
2: yeah.
1: they, um, they, they, uh, they carry around guns openly to stroke their ego. I'm like, you know what, dude, you know, you don't need, I don't need all that. You know, you don't need all that. You know, it, those guys who are doing that, they, they have some identity. They're in an identity crisis. You know, they want and they think they're young. You, they, they, you know, you're 39, I'm 45. Once you hit 40, man, you start to look things a little bit differently.
0: You yeah, know? I can see that. So that's why I was mm-hmm. going to ask you, did you did you get a chance to read Grunt's, uh, his, his whole little piece on open carry and why he does it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I sure did. And uh, I guess the problem I have – I, I don't have a problem with people uh, practicing their Second Amendment right. Not whatsoever. You know, you do your you. do You You, know, you go around Fayetteville, and it's common to see guys walking around open carry. The problem I have is – the biggest problem I have is, like, holster choices. Yeah, you know, or – you know, the type of holsters they're 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 using, or mm. you know, what's the purpose? Why are you why are you open carry? Is, is it that bad in in Fayetteville that you have to have your weapon out, um, or is it you just want to practice your Second Amendment right and uh, you can't afford to get your concealed carry because getting your concealed carry in uh, Fayetteville is extreme. It's it's a process, bro. If you're in the military, yeah like yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a process. So it's not like you, it's not like Florida where you go and fill out <laughs> a couple forms. And then the next thing you know, you're strapped. Uh, it's, it's like, it was extremely easy to get my concealed carry yeah. here as compared to, uh, getting it in, uh, getting it, uh, in North Carolina. You know, it was, I had to get a commander signature and then I had to do this and I had to do that. Um, you know, so yeah, you know, Second Amendment, I'm I'm all about it, but I mean, you got to be smart. You know, you don't want to put people, you don't want to get people all riled up. You know, because um, a lot of people aren't, you know, believe it or not. Regardless, people aren't comfortable with people open carrying. Yeah.
0: No, I I I I can <laughs> I I can see both sides of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think if I try to, but I, it's hard because I, and this is what I, I try to always present when we do our, our, our weekly episodes of There Will Be Banter is uh, you know, the hallmark of is is everyone sees whatever issue it is. We all see it through our own individual lens and everyone's going to see it different. So if I go to wherever and I see dudes doing open carry or whatever, I'm not gonna care because I I've been around guns my you know my military career like I, like that none of that bothers me. But you know my girl, she's never even fired a weapon before in her right. life, right? So she's that's gonna that that that's gonna be completely different. My daughter, 14 years old, you know I've had her you know, shoot rifles her whole, you know, since she's been old enough to do it, it's a little different. She may not feel the same. She might just be like, oh, wow, that dude's got a gun. Um, but that's the individual lens that we view things from, right? So we, we take that as an experience, and it's completely different from myself, her, my daughter. Uh, so, yeah, I can see where you're coming from, Where it could be, you know, hey, that's a little – I don't want to use antagonistic as the word, but maybe it is to their feelings. It's antagonistic, yeah. but someone like myself and you were like, all right, it, it's a dude walking around with a fucking, he's got a, he's got a yeah. his belt, it, whatever he's, you know, it's
1: usually, it's usually like some young guy, right?
0: You think it's so? Usually
1: like between the ages of 20, 21 and 34, you know, trying um, to live
0: out their their military service that they never did. Maybe.
1: Right, or just you know, they just you know the most dangerous, the most dangerous age group is fourteen to thirty-four, and okay, if you look at the the, the looters and the rioters, yeah, the age demographic, I guarantee ninety percent of them fit that range, you know, f- fourteen to
0: thirty-four. Y- you know what's interesting that you say that though, I I feel like <clears throat> now. You know, you know, Demp McGee on Twitter, right? Right. So it was a few weeks ago back when there was some tension. It might've been after the Kenosha thing or while the Kenosha, Wisconsin thing was going on with Kyle Rittenhouse, but he wrote, he just, it was one of those throwaway tweets. And I don't even know how much tension it got, but he was just like, so you're saying there's like this group of like 35 to 45 year old men in America and you're going to tell them it's on. And they're just going to be like, all right, well, I guess it's on. Cause that's what I think like it's 35 to 45, like us, bro. Like you, you're, you're, you know what I mean? Like men in this age group who've gone through the global war on terror, who've got military experience, whatever it's like, yeah, I I can see where you're saying like the 14 to 34 year old demographic. Mainly I would say in my experience out in California, like I would put it at more like 16 to 23 who are super, I wouldn't say they're violent. They're just super impressionable because that's like, yeah. that's the age where you can mold these fucking people into whatever you want them to do. But Demp was right. Like, look, 35 to 45 year old men, I'm, I ain't, especially in this era, I'm not trying to fuck with any of these dudes, man. <laughs> like, you know what yeah. I mean? Because like, the experience is there, oh, the, the training's there, the equipment's there, they got everything. And you just gotta hope you're right. you're rolling into the the property or whatever of someone who never actually followed through on any of that time that you and I like we grew up through this like you just want right. to hope that they didn't respond to the call from nine eleven or whatever.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's one of those things, man. Where I sit back and I'm like, and I say it fourteen to six, uh, fourteen to 30, 34. Yeah, because fourteen is when you start, you know, you really yeah, start. Yeah,
0: you're, you're aware.
1: Yeah. You, you start to choose sides Yep. and, and then, um, but yeah, 16, I think 16 is your, your danger zone. You know, you're, those guys are riding the red the whole time. And then, you know, about 23, 24 ish, they start to, you know, get, you know, they get a girl pregnant they yeah. you know, They failed out, you know, they go into the military. They fell out a few things. Um, and so they kind of back off. But the thing is, man, you look at that age group, you look, you're look, going to see very few 35- to 40-year-old guys, regardless of where their, their background is, out there looting and tearing it up. You know, you're know, you going to see that age group, that, that one age group. And um, it's a scary demographic because – It is. No, you're you know, right. I mean, because when, when we were that age, we were either – in the military or we were, uh, we had somebody controlling our lives. Mission, that's yeah.
0: Not- Good old mission command, you know, command yes. and control, whatever it is, you, whatever term, you know, it as <coughs> yeah, you're right.
1: Yeah, man. But yeah, so it, it's, um, and I feel like, I feel like, uh, more people like myself are starting to talk more. Like we're starting to speak up We're we're starting to have a voice, um, a voice that's not, um, you know, a, you know, rap lyric—a voice that's not yeah. on a basketball court or a football field, but a voice of, "Hey, look, you know, we're hard working people, and we're doing—we're getting our—we're getting our stuff done, and we don't want you to mess that up, you know." So, um yeah. and I go, and I'm not talking about you know me being black or anything. I'm talking about just it's there's a generation, you know, man. Yeah, it's, it's our generation. We're like, yep. hey, man. We, we put, we put in some work right. and Now you want to destroy it, you know? So yeah. Yeah,
0: See, it's that's perfect. the other thing, man. Like I, I get it. I get exactly what you're saying. It's our generation. Like I think men like you and I at our age group, 39 to 45, whatever it is, we grew up at a time where I think we benefited from a lot of the racial tension in this country. Like you go back to the Rodney King riots in 1992 in LA, like we came out of that. We grew up post that And we, our school systems were in a point, at least mine was, man, I grew up in fucking Pointeana, Florida, a lot of black, Hispanic, whatever, white, we grew up around each other. Like we never had animosity racially. We just fucking lived and grew up around each other. And I feel like, like guys like us, like, this is what we grew up and we knew it. Like anything that we experience, we can define as the American experience. We don't try and like Oh, let's pigeon toe it into, oh no, this was Javier and his black experience, or no, this was Eric and his white. No, we were Americans experiencing this shit, and here's where we're at right now. And as far as I see it, it's like, you fuck with our fucking country? You're fucking with all of us. We're not gonna pick fucking racial sides. Like, you're my brother, you're my sister. I don't give a fuck what you look like. We're Americans. Let's fucking go.
2: Yeah.
1: And that's exactly, man. That's exactly what I'm talking about, dude. Like I, I grew up in, uh, I went to high school in Lodi.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and
1: Lodi, Lodi is so white that they had to bust up <laughs> Stockton. and yeah. Diversify it. Yeah. And that's, that's basically what they did, you know? And, and I was truly grateful for it, dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got the best education I can ever think of. I made some of the best friends I could ever make, um, that I still keep in contact with to this day, you know, and they're Filipino, white, black, Um, Mexican you know
0: oh yeah absolutely
1: you know so it's just it it blows my mind that you know this whole black lives matter and this whole you know this whole thought of hey we're we're gonna prop up a rapist we're gonna you know we're gonna we're gonna ride and loot because a cop was protecting himself in self-defense it makes no sense uh, we got basketball. You know, back in the day, our basketball players and football players were speaking out against the the, the stupidity. Yeah, you know, was. Charles Barkley. Yep. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, Charles Barkley. He was he was known for it. You know, mm-hmm. you know he he, he had uh, uh, Shaquille O'Neal. You know, who mm-hmm. you know, these guys are stand up dudes outside Absolutely. of yeah. professional, and but they never took it to the court. You know, nope. they never took it to the court. It was always. Well, hey we're, we're talking about it offline you know and, uh, and, so
0: well that's my thing and it's gonna be it's gonna be the opening feature on, on Thursday when we talk about on there will be banter is just like look you, you got the NBA playoff games that took place on September 11th you have everyone <coughs> you have every one of those athletes taking a knee on September right. 11th right. And my thing, as I pointed out to our group, and, uh, like, look, this is already, like, you know, the Clippers are about to lose. Like, they they got a minute left. They're down by 18. (laughs) So, it's kind of a shame because, you know, Doc Rivers is the coach of the Clippers. And Doc Rivers was the one that said, hey, you know, when they had that big player meeting a few weeks ago when they decided to postpone the games over – I think it was the shooting and I don't know if it, I don't know if it was Kenosha. No yeah, was it, it was, was Kenosha. Kenosha. So that was it. When they decided to to postpone those games and they had that big player meeting with a few coaches and Doc Rivers was featured and there he was the one that said, Hey, you know what? It's it's great that you guys are so motivated for change and you know, yeah, I, I, I can support everybody being down for, you know, change to make everything everyone's lives in this country better. But when he says twenty percent of you are registered to vote. 20% you guys are out right. here fucking preaching on your social media accounts and, and, and talking about all this shit. And there's only one in five of you are actually registered to vote, man, get right. the fuck out of here. Like who, yeah, who are exactly. you talking to?
2: Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs>
0: that,
1: and, then, and then how many of those guys that were, are looting and rioting or uh, registered to vote? Exactly. Right, like, so, like,
0: furthermore it's like man like my thing is uh and i've said this and i need to refine it to to include uh hollywood actors but i feel like hollywood actors are a smaller portion but i i said and i will talk about it as much as i can on thursday outside of the politicians in this country and you know we'll, we'll lump in hollywood but outside of politicians in hollywood athletes in this country are the most detached fucking people yeah you know what i mean like though these dudes have been coddled since the age of you know 13 14 years old they don't know what the average fucking american deals with white black hispanic asian doesn't fucking matter if you are athletically gifted in this country you are identified at a very early age because i was one of those people i went i i i got to go play baseball in college for free Uh, i just wasn't very good when i got there but these people are on a different level And they for sure don't have the same expectations as the average person trying to just make it through the school system and get out into the job market. And and then these are the ones that are going to try to preach to us with no actual understanding or nuance or anything that they could actually present as logical. And my biggest argument is, man, motherfucking LeBron James, as much as I can admire him as an athlete – The man is the most ignorant fucking guy to ever grace the fucking podium of a post uh, press conference. Like why people ask this guy for his opinion on things is beyond me because it comes across as ignorant because it is. And then it's almost like I feel sorry for him every time he speaks because they're putting him in a position where he can't defend himself.
1: Right. Oh, well, at least at least he gets to say it without any interruption. Yeah, We're but he's got
0: 40 fucking million followers. That th- right, <laughs> yeah, right. You know? right,
1: exactly. And what I guess what I'm getting at is um, LeBron is hurting financially because of his ties to China. Ooh, you know?
0: yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> so, so, The gorilla I mean, in
0: the room right there, the elephant, whatever well, it is. You know? It's in the room. It's fucking breaking shit, yeah. Yeah, you know, and that's that's
1: it. You know, and he's speaking out, and you know, and all these NBA players, yeah, they they don't like Trump because they're hurting their bottom line. You know, the majority of their pay comes from endorsements, and a lot of their shoes are made
0: almost every. Single oh no, oh, they're all there. Yeah, they they what what's an American shoe brand? I can't even name one. Right.
1: So <laughs> I, I I would I would if LeBron James had a shoe factory in the States and everything was in the States. And he got out there and said, black lives matter. I'm down for it. You know what? I will support him. But the moment he came out and all his, you know, it was just money and everything is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, you don't create a damn job in the States. Not one black, not one of the people that is your fan, is benefiting from you playing in fact you you take from your fans and to give nothing back you know outside of charity so at the end of the day man i, I it really saddens me because the biggest population the biggest employer of the black of of most like most successful black is uh black men is entertainment and sports
0: yeah Absolutely. I mean, mean, Jason Whitlock talks about this all the time. Like the the NFL is responsible for making more black millionaires than any business in this fucking country.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And,
1: you know, it's just the thing at the end of the day, man, we got to, you know, like I always wanted to be more than just an athlete. I I grew up playing sports. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to be more than just an athlete. And I always saw like the guys in uniform. The men and women in uniform as like my heroes like ricky henderson my favorite baseball yeah player. i
0: fucking love ricky growing up um, <laughs> i um, wish i could the, run. the it's whole like, a, is, i, I, I didn't steal a base you know, in my know. life
1: man <laughs> <laughs> but the whole oakland a's lineup man they were like i oh, i was God, in the they were
0: so stacked dude
1: you know jose canseco dave stewart Dennis Eckersley, Mark
0: McGuire, Ray Ray Martin, like, uh, Martin, Walt Mark Weiss, Weiss was playing short. Walt uh, Weiss, Yeah, God, like I love the, the Oakland A's in the nineties, man. Those that team was fucking yeah. stacked.
1: And uh, you know they they were my they were like all right I like these guys these these are guys you know
0: what oh yeah I was gonna yeah. say especially you growing up out here okay so you took you chose Oakland over the over the Giants okay I got no you. well
1: <laughs> uh, all my favorite players were on Oakland but my favorite okay. game was the Giants.
0: Okay, all right, that's fair. Got it. But
1: yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I get to. Uh, I forgot what I was saying.
0: <laughs> no, um, you were talking about how like black athletes or just black Americans in sports
1: now. But nowadays, like now, more recently, now you're seeing it more now. There's a lot of more black people are coming out. Like, look, I am successful. You yeah. know, I own this business. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, I am not because we get because the American media makes more money off black people being down and out than they do Yeah, make money off of us being successful
0: right Um, Mm -hmm. and it's it's weird because it's the only population that is like they're mandated almost to support one political party and they can only have one actual thought where everyone else is like hey you're free to think and vote for whoever you want right and, then, and then I think that
1: that paradigm is changing nowadays, you know, oh, with, I sure uh,
0: fucking hope so, man, because you know, um, the-
1: so just a little quick story about, I mean, and, uh, <laughs> Anyway. And so back, uh, Ronald Reagan was elected in 1979, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so check this out. I was living in Daly city, California, uh, right outside San Francisco. Yep. Um, I don't know. I don't know why my mom did this, but the night, uh, president Reagan was elected president. My mom—I was asleep. I was in the kindergarten. I was in kindergarten when this happened. My mom came and woke me up and said, "Hey, hey, son, um, Ronald Reagan is our new, the new president of the United States." And from that point on, you know what? I was always bent. Like I didn't know what a Republican was or whatever, but that's where I was bent. You know, a supporter of Reagan. So your um, mom
0: was your mom was supported Reagan.
1: No, well, my mom was a. I think she told me. I think she, I want to say she told me. I gotta ask her this because he was a governor of California.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I was gonna say. Let me look this up real quick, but I'm fairly um, sure. I wasn't. I wasn't. Reagan's first election was so popular. I feel like he won the state of California because it's all yeah. cyclical, man. But California was a very Republican state back then. So. Yeah.
1: And so, uh, but yeah, I remember my mom telling me like, yeah, you know, Ronald Reagan won the election. So in fourth grade, uh, he was up for, uh, I was going to be in the fourth grade, and um, he was up for a second term against Walter Mondale.
0: Yeah. And that I remember, Mondale.
1: and I remember my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Clawson. she says, she goes, hey, "Who's whose parents are voting for Mondale? And those parents who uh, vote for Mondale raised their hands. They're like, all right, you guys remain seated. Whose parents are <laughs> voting for Reagan? And uh, and uh, everybody else rose their hand. They're like, "All right, you can go out to recess." And I didn't know what my mom was voting, so I just rose my hand. Reagan, just because you know, I <coughs> kind of so – But yeah, you know, you no know, vo- voting for Reagan was a huge deal.
0: Yeah. No. Um, but real quick. Uh- The 1980 presidential election, Ronald Reagan did win California, and he also won 489 of the electoral votes. Uh, Jimmy Carter, who was running as the incumbent, won 49. Oh, wow. We call that a fucking blowout. That's what that (laughs) that was. Uh, (laughs) Jimmy Carter, uh, also the last president to lose as an incumbent other than George uh, Bush Sr. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, it wasn't close. You're right,
1: well, but he was governor he, of
0: California, so it kind of uh, probably worked in his favor. Yeah, he was a great orator too. So oh, what do you oh, think? Well, he's an actor. Trump, I mean, what do you expect? <laughs> you should hope you he gets. Think, think Trump is going to have it in the bag. Uh, I don't. I mean, man, man I, I'm. I talk to you guys in our, our chat. I talk to all you guys. And when I get an opportunity to talk to you in this, you know, this elongated format and, I, and I, I give a lot of credence to what you guys say, because I think you view things differently than me. I think as I've said multiple times, if there was any year that Democrats had a chance to win, it was this one, but they put, they decided to, to nominate Joe Biden and that's where i don't yeah. i that's that's but and, and then like look at these look at these gaffes that came out today you got a you got a, a press conference clip or whatever it was with kamala harris and she's saying like in a harris administration with joe biden i mean uh or ah uh, you know it's like it's almost like they used biden as like the front to get right. the candidate that right. they wanted which is harris and i get that i mean she fits everything that the democrats want to offer up you know Minority, woman, female, fine. Got it. Um, Would she be who I would have elected as the Democrats? Hard to say, man. Um, As the Democrats pushed their people forward, I I was never a fan of any of them going forward. If I was them outside of maybe Harris and maybe Cory Booker. I feel like those two.
1: Yeah, I think Cory Booker had a chance, man.
0: I just don't Um, think yeah
1: yank i think Yang had a chance you know um
0: yeah, yeah i mean the problem is i don't think and i i, I can't remember if joe said this last night if it was said before it's like the democrats don't have an identity at this point man like they're they're ran by their fringe they have no actual platform it's all anti-america it's all let's change everything because the country fucking sucks and they've just kind of like given up the patriotic, the pro-American, the pro-law enforcement, whatever, and you don't have to be. You don't have to put those in your plank. But when you give it up and totally just allow the other side to use it against you politically, you're not setting yourself up for success.
1: <coughs> yeah, I think I think uh, I think Joe, I think Joe. i, I I'm, I'm I've been watching the polls, and I'm kind of confused because it's fair. The polls, the polls say one thing, but. I go I, – I've, I've been driving around. I've, I've made a couple of runs Ooh, yes. up, to North, up to North Carolina and uh, going through South Carolina and Georgia. And, I mean, that's, that's – I think Georgia is going to go Trump. I think uh, South Carolina is going to go Trump. And um, Florida, I think, you know – you got to look at the smaller pockets of Florida and see, like the not the bigger cities, because mm-hmm. I hate I, I people want to um, want to crap on the electoral college, yeah, and they don't realize that the electoral college is it's there. To we be, ever did to prevent five cities from yep. voting and electing the president every single time. Yep. You know.
0: Absolutely. No, I agree. It's the smartest thing we ever did. And uh, yeah. they had no idea when they did it, but you're right. And uh, just going based off of your, 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 uh, you know, scientific method as Nick, is, is it's, as this escapes Nick, like what's the process? It's the scientific method, Nick. Uh, so if Nick yeah. guy listens to this, uh, but no, I mean, I just uh, last weekend or the weekend before, like we just drove up and down to, you know, we went to Bodega Bay and came back. But yeah, the only signs I saw anywhere going through farm country or whatever in in Northern California, it was all for Trump. Yeah. Now I get it. California is a lost cause. I got that. But if fuckers would just show up and vote in this fucking state, they might make it competitive, but they don't. So California is not one of the states that is in play this election, but the ones that you described south carolina georgia florida if you're seeing that man i mean that and those are the people who are overt those aren't the people who are just you know made to feel like oh i can't be positive or outspoken about my vote so i won't say anything
1: right you know around here though like even here in uh, orlando you don't see a lot of Biden, anything like I see, like, maybe a handful of Biden stickers, bumpers, uh, placards. I don't see yeah. anything. Man. I see Trump stuff everywhere. And so it makes me wonder, you know, is the left, the mainstream media is so bent on Biden, like, trying to bend the message that Biden's ahead, that they're but what, what do the polls, like the poll, like what does Rasm- Rasmussen and um, yeah. some of these other pollsters, like what do they have to gain by lying, you know? It, right. You no, know, well, it's.
0: I mean, I think Ron touched on this last week is like the internal polling will always be different, right? You mentioned Rasmussen. Yes, Rasmussen tends to skew more towards the Republican side, but you know, these these polls are just as politicized as the fucking media networks, man, at this point. Um, I don't believe any of them overall at this point, and I think the only thing I can really think is actually polling accurately is the declining, and then not not just the declining, but the rapidly declining support of the Black Lives Matter organization. Not Black Lives Matter. We gotta we gotta separate these two because you know right. Twitter Twitter is not smart enough to realize that when I say it is it's not Black Lives Matter. It's the Black Lives Matter organization. All right, two different right. entities. Um, but then also that, that, that support is declining rapidly. That's proven by polls from all of them. But then also, it, you know, it, it, it still exists, man. It existed in 2016. It exists now. Like what benefit does anyone who actually is willing to answer a pollster, what benefit do they get by nominate, like just voluntarily or voluntarily saying, yeah, I support Trump. What's the benefit? Right. There's none. Right. You know what I mean? So I think that I think um, I think I think Trump wins. I think it's close. Uh, Pretty much everyone I speak to thinks it's the opposite. They think it's Trump and a blowout. I'll gladly be wrong and hope it's a blowout. I just don't want the alternative. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think I think most people don't.
0: But, you know, that's who we know. And it's it's hard. Right. Because you don't know if we're, maybe we're maybe we're in an echo chamber. I don't know. But
1: yeah, I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking uh, I think Biden. I, I, I'm, I'm saying this, but I'm thinking Biden is going to if he doesn't do if they don't get them get Biden in a, uh, a debate. Oh, yeah. Democrats
0: won't have a chance. Oh, bro. September chance. 29th. You already know we're doing the goon zoom watch, man. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Live.
1: I can't wait. Watch <laughs> I, the can't
0: either. I can't either. Um, but yeah, now look, man, I think that's that. Well, let's see what takes place after that first debate. Uh, I'll, I'll be as surprised as you are. If, if, if Mr. Biden actually shows up, um, but man, I, I absolutely appreciate you taking your time to be with me tonight and, and sharing all your stories. Again, I think like these are things the United States population needs to understand and respect and, and, and recognize that men like yourself who've been doing this shit for the last 20 fucking years plus um, a ton of sacrifice. You already laid out the experiences that you were involved in that led to the recipient of a medal of honor like this. This is this is the smallest of the smallest of our population. And you're the best that we've had to offer, man. And Javier, I, I truly appreciate you, everything you've done and no, thanks uh, for having me on here absolutely man and i'm glad you're still with us and i look forward to talking to you and listening to you on the 29th man when we talk about this fucking biden trump debate let's go hey i got a name for us american what drip it? what is it american drip american drip i'm gonna throw it in the fucking chat as soon as i stop yeah. this recording bro <laughs> <laughs> yeah american. all right man all right, all right brother. Man. i'll talk to you soon Brad. later